What's up ladies and gentlemen, Neon Pow here, and this week we're doing the movie to what if Naruto was raised by the Akatsuki. This will contain the Naruto story all the way up to Shippuden. Also, special thanks to Hajaifa, Sassy Egg Roll, and Art Dragon for their continued support in helping me create this content. Also guys, just because this is a movie, I'm just going to do a lowball estimate of 1000 like goal for this episode, and I'll let you guys handle the rest. And if you're new to the channel, make sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so you can stay up to date with the bi-weekly videos coming to you guys. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. This tale is about a young boy that we are all so familiar with, Naruto Uzumaki. However, one small change will twist our young Chinchuriki's life forever. We begin our story on the day of the Nine Tails' attack of the Hidden Leaf. The events of this gruesome battle all play out as normal, except for one minor detail. Instead of the masked man, which we all know as Obito, fleeing the scene, he stays around a bit longer as he has hatched a devious plan that could greatly work towards his favor. Minato and Kushina still sacrifice themselves for Naruto and half the Ninetales is still sealed inside the child. However, once the scene becomes quiet, Obito emerges from the shadows. He is frustrated as plans were ruined, but by taking Naruto, he feels that he will be able to mediate his losses. He then vanishes with the child. The third Okage finally arrives on the scene as late as usual and sees that Naruto's parents are both dead and Naruto is missing. He sends out a search party, but it doesn't seem like it will end with any success. As Obito arrives tattered to the Akatsuki hideout, he meets up with Nagato and Konan. He informs them on what just occurred and what the child is. He explains that he was near the Leaf Village at the time and had seen the Nine Tails appear suddenly. This poor child was orphaned due to the Nine Tails breaking free of his mother's control. And instead of carrying his wife and newborn baby to safety, the boy's despicable father decided to steal the Nine Tails inside of him, cursing him to be an outcast in any village he would ever set foot in, assuming they knew he was the Nine Tails Shinjuriki. Seeing such a horrendous act, Obito quickly killed his father and decided to care for the child himself. They aren't necessarily keen on involving a child into their plan, but by believing in Obito's story, they think that Naruto could be an ace in the hole they needed to guarantee the success of the ultimate goal, the goal of true peace through any means necessary. Obito can't really be seen training or grooming the child since he will be undercover as Tobi. So Nagato and Konan are the ones to take care of Naruto. As odd as it may be, the two become parental figures to the young Naruto. With this, Naruto's new life begins. Since Nagato and Konan aren't necessarily evil, they still want to be the best for Naruto as a child. In reality, the young child has a better childhood than if he was in the Leaf Village. He is given plenty of attention, so he isn't forced to misbehave to get any. Since Takatsuki's main goal is to use Naruto's Chinchuriki power, Nagato trains the boy in chakra control daily from the first day he can comprehend it. Konan focused on working on Taijutsu aspect of Naruto's training, using her paper jutsu as practice tools. Every now and then, Konan would even put a show with her paper style to entertain the young boy. These small interactions would help Naruto gain a deep respect for the two. 
Obito would pay Naruto a visit from time to time to check on his training progress. He was pretty satisfied with how the child was handling himself, but he felt that Nagato and Konan might be spoiling the kid a bit too much. He also knew that he would have to do something about the cursed seal keeping the Ninetales chakra constricted. For this reason, when Naruto got to the age of 7, he brought him to Orochimaru as he knew he was always meddling with a variety of jutsus. Before this, Obito was wary of involving Naruto with the Akatsuki members. During this encounter, Naruto got a chance to meet another child of similar age to himself, Kibimaru. This was the first time that Naruto was able to meet a boy of similar age as him, so he was naturally excited. Naruto, having a bright and free upbringing, enthusiastically introduces himself. However, it was a bit too enthusiastic as it causes the opposite effect that Naruto had wished it to have. Kibimaru was silent, put off by the upbeat child in front of him. He'd rather not interact with him at all. But when his master Orochimaru insisted that he go off to talk or even spar with Naruto while he and Obito chatted about a potential release for the seal, he obeyed. He and Naruto start walking towards a clearing that would give them a chance to spar, chat, or anything else they so desire. Kimimaru, not much for conversation, said nothing throughout the entire walk there. Naruto, through his interactions with Konan, had picked up on reading people's emotions, so he attempted to use that skill now. While Kimimaru was very difficult to read, Naruto thought it would be best to give him some space if he hoped to befriend him. He had a million things he wanted to say at the moment, but couldn't. He shouldn't. Even though Naruto was trained to have self-control, our young protagonist couldn't bear with the suspense and broke the silence. He filled it up with his chatter. He asked everything he could come up with and answered the questions before Kimimaru even had a chance. Things like favorite food, favorite color, favorite place. He then asked some questions that he couldn't answer on his own. What was the weird mark on his chest? Why did his master give off such a weird vibe? Stuff like that. Kimimaru decided to finally answer one of his questions, the one about his mark. He said it was a gift from his master and that even he didn't know what it really did. Naruto was overjoyed that he finally answered one of his questions and kept pestering him with more. Kimimaro slowly started opening up to Naruto, answering more of his questions and even asking some of his own. Their pace slowed as they neared the clearing. The clearing was surrounded by trees on all sides and a small lake in the middle. Kimimaro suggested that they go fight on the lake and was surprised to find out that Naruto said yes. With all the talking he had done, it was a miracle that this boy had any time for training. And yet, as Kimimaro stepped out onto the lake, Naruto did the same. Naruto couldn't possibly be more than two years younger than he was, but he himself was rather young. Ten years currently. If this child could control his chakra to a similar degree that he could, that in and itself was something to be praised. Kimimaru quickly getting over his awe of the boy in front of him, got into his battle stance and readied himself. Naruto completely changing from his carefree attitude to a more serious tone does the same. The two boys charge at each other and clash. Based on Taijutsu alone, Kimimaru could easily be seen to be more skilled due to his longer extremities and swifter movements. Before Naruto even had a chance to counter his previous attacks, another one would be sent his way. However, even with that, Naruto was surprisingly keeping up quite well. Naruto decided it would be best to get some distance between them and quickly lunge back. Kimimaru let him do so to see what his next move would be. In just a matter of seconds, Naruto disappears into the murky water. 
Kimimaro certainly wasn't expecting him to do that. To make matters worse for him, he couldn't see where Naruto was because it was a cloudy night. Kimimaro thought to himself that it was a smart move, but Naruto would eventually have to come up for air. Suddenly, three blonde-headed boys shot out of the water, each rushing at Kimimaro from different angles. Kimimaru, in slight disbelief that he has to push himself so much, pulls out a bone from his arm and turns it into a blade. If Naruto was going to pull out his techniques, he might as well do the same. And although Kimimaru wouldn't admit this to himself, he was having fun and wanted to impress his new friend. He grazed each of the clones' cheek, dispatching all of them? Where was the real Naruto then? Why did the clones have more matter to them than usual for a clone to have? All of a sudden, he was grabbed around the ankles and pulled into the water by some unknown force. Though he would normally be able to resist such a thing, he already lost his focus from the clone stunt that Naruto just pulled. Deep into the cold water he went. As he tried to get free, he met the crystal blue eyes of the boy he had been sparring just a few seconds ago, peering back at him. They both resurfaced, and Naruto instantly let out a laugh. Kimimaro didn't think there was anything funny about the situation. Had this been a more serious fight, to have been caught off guard by such a simple tactic could have cost him his life. And yet, here they were, floating on top of the lake, freezing cold and exhausted, while Naruto was laughing his ass off. Kimimaro just barely cracked a small grin, then let out a sigh, and said they should probably report back to their masters as it was getting late and they may be concerned about them, regaining his calm composure once more. On the inside, he was still grinning though, wishing that they could stay there and fight once more. Seeing what other tricks Naruto had up his sleeve, he felt almost normal for once, not like a soldier, not like a servant to his master, but like a kid. Before the two headed back to the base, Kimimaru asks Naruto, how old is he? And Naruto responds that he is seven. Kimimaru is shocked to hear that a child three years younger than him gave him so much trouble. He now definitely hopes they'll be able to spar again soon. By the time they returned to where they left their masters to spar, it was almost dawn. They spent a long time talking on the way back from the lake. Kimimaru was a bit more talkative this time, but mainly let Naruto take the lead. Naruto asked about the sword thing he pulled out from his skin, and Kimimaru explained to him it was his ability his clan possessed, his Kekagenkai. He had the ability to take bones out of his body and replace them with new ones. He could even shape them to create weapons and tools, and that's how he made his bone into a blade. He could even make his bones harder and sharper than steel if he wished. He created the blade once more and handed it to Naruto so he could have a closer look. Naruto inspected it for a while, before exclaiming how cool Kimimaru's ability was, and how he was jealous he couldn't have anything like that. Kimimaru let out a small laugh, before asking Naruto about his clone ability. He said it was a shadow clone, and learned it from a guy named Itachi that joined Akatsuki fairly recent. Naruto said he seemed like a pretty serious guy, but was pretty kind and even taught him a bit of genjutsu. He quickly added he couldn't perform any yet, and was just taught the basics. He also says he learned a really cool jutsu from Nagato that he'll have to show off another time. Upon returning to where they were hours before, their masters had yet to return. So, Naruto decided to lie down and get some sleep. Kimimaru eventually followed and did the same, succumbing to his exhaustion. 
He and Naruto had just had a long day and needed some rest. Risk of ambush was low and their masters knew where to find them if they needed them. After a few hours, Naruto and Kimimaru were awoken by both of their masters at what seemed to be around noon. Rubbing the sleep from his eyes, Naruto stands up and complains to Obito that he should have just let him alone to stay asleep. Kimimaru waited to see what Orochimaru had awoken him for. Obito tells the both of them that they had watched their battle and were impressed with the performance they both had shown. Orochimaru then adds that they thought it would be the best for the both of them to spar more regularly as it could benefit both of them in power greatly. Naruto is completely ecstatic to hear this news. Kimimaru looks neutral on the outside and agrees because it is what his master's idea was, but on the inside he is also filled with joy. Obito's motives are clear as he wants to get Naruto stronger. As for Orochimaru, Kimimaru has yet to contract the incurable disease, so he is still grooming him to be the next vessel. This delay in Kimimaru's disease also means that Orochimaru has less of a reason to try to steal Itachi's body. Even though he wants an Uchiha vessel, he is not driven by greed and can clearly think. He knows that Itachi might be too powerful for him currently. After the plans are officially made, we now time skip to when Naruto finally turns 11 and Kimimaru 14. The two, with their constant sparring and training, have become considerably stronger. Each of them easily rivals Jonin level ninja. Naruto has even been able to tap into his QB power. This new data allows Obito to see that maybe the seal will weaken over time and won't necessarily need Orochimaru's help. As he still needs more data, this is kept in the back of his mind. Over this time skip, Naruto was also given the opportunity to train under Itachi. This was arranged by Nagato as he thought that since they were both from the same village and Itachi possessed exceptional chakra control, it would be good for Naruto. The young boy was able to master some high level genjutsu as well and even learn how to repel them. This was taught by Itachi using his Sharingan on Naruto. It is important to note that during one of these sessions, in particular, Naruto felt a bit more altered than normal. He of course doesn't make much of it as it was subtle, but something to keep in mind. Over these training periods, Naruto got a chance to hear about Itachi's little brother, Sasuke. Naruto was actually very keen to meet him as he heard they were about the same age and would be an excellent training partner if there were anything like Itachi. Orochimaru also overheard this information and made a specific note to himself. With that, Orochimaru hatched up a great plan. He told Obito that Naruto should enter the Leaf Village as a spy to gather information and build trust among the ranks. Obito, a bit skeptical on following through with a suspicious Orochimaru, believes the pros that came out of it would be far better than the cons. They could finally make use of Naruto's position as an innocent child and a Chinchuriki. Kimimaru overheard this plan and was saddened to hear that Naruto would be leaving and that he wouldn't be able to train with him anymore. He got quite attached over this time period. He goes as far as to ask Orochimaru if he could join an infiltration plan. Orochimaru just gives him a smile and tells him that due to his age, it would arouse too much suspicion. And plus, he has another special mission for him anyways. This isn't the answer Kimimaru wanted to hear, but he agrees without hesitation, showing his loyalty. Naruto's cover story would be that he was part of the Kaguya clan, orphaned by war, that their clan weighs against the Kikigakure of the Hidden Mist Village. Their clan had been completely slaughtered and would have been unsafe to stay there. So the Hidden Leaf took him in and gave him safety. 
In return, he would train as a ninja and serve the village. Orochimaru explains that some strings have been pulled to make the story a little bit more convincing. Furthermore, to not arouse suspicion, Naruto's exam and ninja scores were scrubbed to make it look like he was a low-class shinobi. This final act put everything right in line as Naruto was placed on Team 7 with Sasuke exactly what Orochimaru had hoped for. With this, Naruto would make semi-frequent reports through either Obito or more often than not Zetsu, seeing as both of their abilities allowed them to travel undetected by even a Joni. The infiltration plan is set in high gear. Last left of Arkatsuki Ration Jerky, beginning his new journey as a spy in the Leaf Village. He will finally be able to test the skills he had learned over the years and hopefully make his Akatsuki family proud. A few weeks after the infiltration plan was set in place, Naruto arrived in the Leaf Village. He was entirely prepared to be shunned by the villagers as an outsider. At least, that's what he was told to expect after all. However, he was surprisingly treated quite the opposite. He actually gained a lot of attention from the curious locals. His cover story required him to say that he was from the Kaguya clan, the same as Kibimaru's, as keeping his Uzumaki clan name would obviously arouse suspicion. But with that, Naruto only ever needed his Akatsuki clan and nothing else. As Naruto went throughout his days in the Leaf, he quickly lost the interest of many once he said he possesses none of the Kekagenkai of his clan. But even with that, many more pressed on. Some people would ask him what the Land of Water was like, things like locations, people, and stories of his time there. He made half of the stuff up, but got the other half from stories that Kimimaru had told him. As Naruto's mission required him to become a Leaf Ninja, he quickly integrated himself into the Ninja Academy system. The requirements for passing the Academy and becoming a Genin were all child's play for Naruto. With all of his years of training in chakra control and taijutsu from a very young age, Naruto passed all the practicals and exams without even batting an eye. Even though Naruto was doing his best to hold back drastically and stay under the radar, his performance still surprised many of the students, seeing as he hasn't even been there for a week and hadn't done anything in terms of schoolwork. A specific student, Sasuke Uchiha, was just as surprised as the others to see that Naruto was coming close to matching him. How was he so much more powerful than him despite being at the same age? He had to find out what training he had done in order to get to the level he had reached in the same time he had. Even when Naruto's stellar performances, he would still purposely bomb certain exams to lower his class ranking as his goal was to get on the same team with Sasuke. The time of assigning squads finally arrived. As in the original canon, everyone was assigned on the same team. Naruto already knew that he was going to be on the same squad with Sasuke, but the second member, Sakura, came as a complete surprise. Naruto thought how could the academy even allow such an incompetent person to pass? All she did was stare at Sasuke all day, so he was shocked she had time to pass the exams at all. However, seeing as she was close to Sasuke, it gave Naruto some ideas of how he could exploit this in the future. For now though, he saw no reason that they couldn't all just be friends. He greeted his new teammates, but was surprised by how depressed Sakura was when he came over. It was quite strange for Naruto as he saw her being much gloomier just seconds prior when it was just her and Sasuke. It was quite funny too because Sasuke had been ignoring her the entire time, so he couldn't understand her reaction at all but he just decided to go home so they could meet the next day. The next day occurs and the team finally meet their sensei. Introduction still happens on the roof and everyone begins. However, 
This time, Naruto shares his wish for world peace instead of becoming Hokage. Sasuke and Sakura's are all the same. Kakashi then finishes off by telling him to be out bright and early tomorrow at a particular part of the forest near a river without eating breakfast. And they all disperse. Something that seems out of character, Sasuke takes this time to ask Naruto how he became so proficient at the clone jutsu. This made Naruto internally grin. When Naruto was training under Itachi, he had informed him all he had to do was display his strength and Sasuke would try to talk to him. He could definitely use these chances to befriend him. Naruto then told Sasuke that he had much more than just the clone jutsu but mentioned his methods of training would only be revealed to people he considered his friend. Sasuke, hearing this, stubbornly stormed away before Naruto got the chance to ask if he would like to train with him sometime so they could become friends. The reaction confused Naruto, so he just decided to go home as he was hungry. Fortunately, he had some extra chains that he scrapped together and decided to try out the Ichiraku place he had heard so much about and get a bowl of ramen before going home. Since Naruto hadn't had anything like it, to his surprise, the ramen was great. So he made sure to thank the people at the shop and made a mental note to eat there again. The next morning, Naruto showed up at the exact time and place he was supposed to be at. After a few minutes, Sasuke and Sakura arrive on scene to join him in waiting for their sensei. However, Hours pass with no sign of Kakashi. Then, finally he appeared, and Naruto and Sakura told him off for being so late and for having told them to not eat anything. Kakashi then tells them why they were there in the first place, the bell test. They could only truly become Genin if they got the bells from Kakashi. Sakura questions him why there are only two bells, and Kakashi just ignores her. With that, the test begins. Naruto decides to stay back at first to see how his teammates would react. Seeing no movement in them, he decides to gog the strength of his opponent by engaging him in combat for a bit. Naruto doesn't use all his strength at first, but he noticed that what he did show made Kakashi put his book down slightly. He then gained some distance, and Sasuke and Sakura finally realized the point of his attack. Seeing as Naruto wasn't even coming at Kakashi with an intent to kill, he was doing extraordinarily well against him. Sasuke decides to make the move of his own and throws a flurry of shuriken at Kakashi. Seeing this, Naruto decides to fall over so that Kakashi is less likely to notice the shuriken. Each of them make their mark, and as Sakura is exclaiming that Sasuke killed their sensei, Kakashi, once damaged body, was replaced with a log. Everyone, except Sakura who is still screaming in horror, recognized this to be the substitution jutsu. Naruto then ran to Sasuke's location to help aid him. However, to Kakashi's surprise, even though he made it very clear to Naruto that he was now targeting Sakura, Naruto had kept heading towards Sasuke's direction, completely ignoring the pink-haired girl. Kakashi found this strange, but continued to dispatch her anyway. Sasuke and Naruto heard the shout of their teammate in the distance, but continued running. Kakashi caught up with them in no time, this time targeting Sasuke. Just as Naruto was about to react, Sasuke shouts out to him to not move. Naruto complies, and Sasuke's attack ends about as well as it does in canon. Seeing this, Naruto decides to step in. He does the Shadow Clones out the water trick as he has done before, which still fails, and unfortunately sets him up to be fingered by Kakashi's 1000 years of death. Naruto being over cocky with his skills and unexpecting such a barbarous move, Naruto ends up soaring and being unable to move for the remainder of the battle. 
Kakashi seeing this ends up feeling bad and calls for lunch. However, as punishment for leaving their helpless Kanoichi stranded alone, Kakashi ties up the two boys and they are forced to watch as Sakura eats. Sakura, being a huge simp for Sasuke, ends up gladly feeding him. However, for Naruto, she only feeds him after countless begging. Kakashi then poofs in and pretends to go apeshit, and then says they all pass. Everyone is surprised and relieved to hear that. After passing the exam, many weeks pass. During this time, Naruto, Sasuke, and even Sakura all get closer and bond together. Naruto even treats them all to his new favorite ramen place. This was Naruto's plan after all, to get close to everyone. During this time, Naruto extends his offer again to trade with Sasuke, which this time hearing his whole request, Sasuke accepts. With this training, Naruto only becomes a bit more efficient as he was already so much stronger, but for Sasuke, he was able to benefit a quite bit more. Furthermore, to Sasuke's surprise, during certain instances, he felt as if he was training with his older brother, Itachi. Speaking of Itachi, Naruto hopes to get Sasuke to a point where he can rival Itachi, which will also benefit himself to have another strong rival. Sakura even got to make herself useful by cooking up chakra pills, which tasted like crap, but would replenish the boy's stamina. What seems like an eternity of doing countless low rank missions, Naruto finally requests that they increase the ranking of missions as he wanted some action. Team 7 come to the Hokage's office to get another mission. So, Naruto asks if he can get one of higher rank. As Naruto has been a stellar and obedient ninja, especially for being an outsider, the Hokage has no reason to decline. In addition, he wanted to know how well this team could handle themselves, so he gives them a C rank mission. They must go to the land of waves to escort a bridge builder. They greet the bridge builder, who is indifferent to Naruto as opposed to thinking he's some brat, because in this universe, he was taught to act. They were now off to the land of waves. As in canon, the two Chunin level ninja attacked the group. However, here, Naruto and Sasuke dispatched the two hitmen pretty easily. As the team continues walking, Naruto still notices the presence in the bushes. However, here, he doesn't alert the others as he wants to use this possible ambush to his favor and push his plan forward. Just as Naruto expected, Zabuza makes his appearance. Everything goes as in original until Kakashi gets caught by the water prison. Zabuza uses the confusion of Team 7 and gets in the middle of their formation. To Naruto, since Zabuza was greatly underestimating him, he was able to easily read his straightforward attacks. Zabuza goes straight for the bridge builder who is being guarded by Sakura and attempts to cut them down. Just when the sword is about to slash through the two, Naruto is able to push the bridge builder out of the way, but makes it look like he wasn't fast enough to save Sakura, allowing the sword to cut her in half. While Kakashi was too busy drowning to see or even care what happened over there, Sasuke noticed it all. While he wasn't fond of Sakura and actually thought she was quite annoying, he did get attached to her as a friend these past few weeks. Witnessing the tragic end to the pink-haired girl, Sasuke's hidden emotion begins bubbling and tears begin to fall. Naruto looks over to Sasuke and smirks internally as he sees Sasuke's eyes have finally started to look like Itachi's. In the last episode, we left our devious Shinchuriki following through with a very sinister plan. He allowed one of his teammates, Sakura, to be sacrificed in exchange for Sasuke to unlock his shouting gun. 
Naruto, of course, did not have any malicious intent behind this plan, since he was raised to lack any sense of morals, which also leads him to not understand the severity of death. Now, while the plan was successful and unnoticed, his action will lead to some serious changes in the team's dynamic. We now resume immediately after the horrific scene. Sasuke asked Naruto what the heck just happened, and even though he didn't care for the girl, she could have been a great asset to the success of the mission. Naruto scoffs at such an idea, and begins saying that she didn't even contribute to the team the entire time, and that it was either her or the bridge builder. Naruto sends off a few shadow clones to deal with Zabuza while he tries to calm Sasuke down and make up a plan. Sasuke, not exactly calm due to the fact that his teammate's death was caused by his other teammate, agrees he had to also come up with a plan to take Zabuza down and save their sensei. They execute the same plan they did in the original anime, and Kakashi is finally free. After that stuff happens, Kakashi does his thing, and now Haku is in possession of Zabuza's corpse. Afterwards, they go to the bridge builder's house, and Kakashi gets treated for his wounds. He is then quickly knocked out because of the extreme chakra exertion of using his shotting gun. Kakashi, of course, believes in never abandoning one's teammates, but because of his condition, he is unable to contribute to the drama unfolding before him. Sasuke still refuses to mention what happened to Sakura, but the bridge builder and Naruto just say that there wasn't much choice to be had. Naruto says that it is important to protect each other as he made it out to look when he tried to save Sakura, but in the end, each person is responsible for their own life. Sasuke just gets up abruptly and quickly heads to the bathroom. The vivid image of Sakura's severed body won't leave his mind. It begins triggering flashbacks to when he was standing over the bodies of his mother, father, and other family during the Uchiha massacre. He couldn't even remember their names. Was he so terrible that he couldn't remember such a simple thing? And to add on to this drama, he led to the loss of yet another person. He didn't even care about her, but knowing that he could have helped her survive was tearing him up inside. Could he have even helped her though? Was this his curse to forever lead to the death of others and be useless when needed the most? Sasuke almost breaks down in the bathroom, but he takes a deep breath and tries to calm down. He thinks he's a little better, so he goes back to everyone at the table. However, everyone is staring at him and is asking if he's okay. He then realizes tears are still running down his face. He then quickly excuses himself from the table and rushes out the door. Naruto goes to follow after him, but knows his actions are probably what caused this to happen. Because of this, he wanted to give Sasuke some space for a bit before going to find him. However, as he was searching for Sasuke, he found someone else, Haku. They ended up talking for a bit before Naruto asked Haku if he could help find his friend. The both of them looked around for a bit, but ended up giving up and parting ways. Before Haku left, Naruto made sure to thank her for her help. This was of course before he told Naruto he was actually a dude. Naruto was surprised that a boy could be so pretty but ended up dismissing it and went back to the bridge builder's house. To Naruto's surprise, Sasuke was there sleeping. Naruto guessed he just needed to go for a walk, but still figured he should talk to Sasuke later when they got a chance. Eventually, this opportunity came when they were doing the tree training later that day. Sasuke was doing well for a beginner because of the training he had done with Naruto prior to the mission. As for Naruto, he had done this training ages ago, so it was a walk in the park. 
However, he pretended to struggle with it for a bit, so he wouldn't make Sasuke even more frustrated than he already was. When Sasuke was tired, he pretended to be as well, which wasn't too hard because it took a lot of effort to lower the control he had over his chakra without being too good or too bad, which adversely is helping train his chakra control even more. As some time passed, Naruto sat next to Sasuke and talked about trivial matters at first before diving into the issue. Naruto ended up apologizing as he thought that might make things better. He then says that the sacrifice was the only way he thought they could complete their mission successfully. He actually thought Sakura would be able to handle herself as she was a fully fledged ninja. Sasuke then tells Naruto that the issue wasn't a decision to whom to save, but something deeper than that altogether. Sasuke says he felt he was to blame, as he could have been the one to save her, as Naruto was already occupied. To further the problem, he says he was reminded of another time. Before Naruto had a chance to ask, Sasuke elaborates. He says it was one late night. He was out for some reason or another, but it didn't matter now. He made his way home, but upon arriving there, found many of his clan members dead on the ground. He looked around, hoping to find someone, anyone, alive, but was only greeted with the blank eyes of his family. He looked for his parents. Surely they couldn't be dead too, he thought to himself, but they were. And the person who killed them, all of them, was in the very room, his brother. Itachi Uchiha. Naruto was actually a bit surprised about this news, as he never really knew Itachi's backstory when he was training under him. However, to make it convincing that he doesn't have any ties with Itachi, he tells Sasuke that no brother should have ever done that to their family, and tries to sympathize with his friend. Sasuke doesn't respond, and Naruto can see that he's reliving the moment through his eyes. He tries to snap Sasuke back by getting him on his feet and telling him to go for a walk with him. Sasuke ends up doing so feeling a bit better after a while. During the walk, Naruto sees the boy he met last night and thought that having Sasuke talk to him might cheer him up more. Naruto walks over to Haku, introduces to, and decides to lay down for a bit. Sasuke and Haku talk for a bit before Haku tells him he is a boy. Sasuke fell into that trap hard. It didn't make sense to him at all for a minute, but got over the shock when Haku offered to show him. Sasuke, of course, profusely denies this offer. Fortunately, this shock helped get Sasuke out of his depressive state. Haku begins laughing and says he was joking anyways. They talk for a while more, and Sasuke, now thoroughly distracted from his past, decides he and Naruto should get going and head back to training. Before the two leave, Sasuke takes a flower from Haku, with his consent of course, for himself and Naruto as a sign of their new friendship. The two go back to training until nightfall and talk some on the way back home. They ultimately eat and then sleep for the night. For the next couple of days, Naruto and Sasuke would be out and about between the forest training and hanging out with Haku, all before the big battle on the bridge occurs. One day, Haku was absent, so Naruto and Sasuke just trained that day alone. A good distance away, Haku was with Zabuza checking on the progress of his injuries. The day has finally come. It looks like the mercenary is finally healed enough and readies himself to kill the bridge builder once more. Coincidentally, Kagashi Sensei is now fully healed as well, so he goes back to check on Naruto and Sasuke's progress. They both did very well these past few days, but Naruto didn't do as well as Kakashi expected. He knows he is just a kid, but it seems like he has better chakra control than he is letting on. As much as Kakashi hates to do it, he also takes the time to talk about their fallen comrade. 
He doesn't put the blame on anyone as he, as their sensei, should have been there to protect them. He actually tells them that they did as good as they could in such an unpredictable situation and that they should work to get stronger to minimize the chance of something like this ever happening again. After the discussion, they all head to the bridge and begin guarding the bridge builder. The area around them becomes gray. A dense fog starts rolling in. It is so sudden and random to be natural, so the team stays on guard. Kakashi hears Sabuza's voice and steps deeper into the mist to track him down, letting Naruto and Sasuke protect the bridge builder. Then, suddenly, a bunch of needles come out from the mist, aiming directly towards the bridge builder. It seems the masked boy from the other day was on Zabuza's side after all. Naruto tells him to come out and fight, and to his surprise, he does so. Naruto makes a lot of shadow clones to guard the bridge builder, and with Sasuke, he goes to fight the boy with the mask. The fight goes about as well as it does in canon, with Sasuke stepping in to save Naruto from the needles. However, the main difference here, while Naruto still enraged, he doesn't completely lose his sense of self. He instead personally asks the Ninetales for its power. Though, to the Chichiriki's surprise, Kuruma says, No, you fool. I will not help in any way if you are parted with that man in the mask. That idea disgusts me. And proceeds to go into a slumber. Naruto doesn't really know what to do in this situation. While confident in his own power, he is unsure if he can protect Sasuke and himself against the boy's insanely powerful Kekagenkai. Naruto then tries to do the unthinkable and try to forcefully pull out some of the Ninetales chakra. Fortunately, all of his chakra control training pays off and he is able to extract some without the Ninetales realizing. Now that he's powered up and healed, he goes berserk on the masked enemy, this time beating the crap out of him instead of holding back. As the ninja's partially broken body lies on the ground, he goes over to see if Sasuke's okay. To his relief, he is still breathing but is certainly in need of some medical attention. Naruto walks over to the beaten up ninja and thinks about unmasking him, but it looks like it has already slipped off. Naruto is saddened a bit to see that this enemy was their friend, Haku. Naruto, logically thinking, believes he must have his own motives and decides to knock him unconscious for further questioning later. He carries both Haku and Sasuke to the nearby village, but not before witnessing the death of Zabuza. He then gets a rope, ties Haku up, and gets Sasuke medical attention. Knowing that Haku would be saddened by his master's loss, he goes to see Zabuza's body and prepare a grave for him to be buried once Haku wakes up. However, to Naruto's disgust, he sees Gato spitting on Zabuza and calling him useless. Without even flinching, a well-named kunai takes care of that situation. He then asks if anyone else would dare disrespect this fallen warrior, but they were already gone by the time he finished his sentence. They were mercenaries after all and didn't need to carry out their task anymore seeing as their employer was dead. Kakashi helps Naruto dig a grave for Zabuza and they wait for Haku to awaken so he can mourn his death. Haku wakes up and is taken to see a doctor in the area. Other than a few fractures and a concussion, he was fine. Haku then finally gets to see his fallen master. Naruto asks if there's anything they can do for him. He says their company will do just fine. So they sit in front of Zabuza in silence for what felt like hours. Haku finally says he would like to bury his master himself. Kakashi and Naruto leave, but not before kicking Gato's corpse into the sea below. They then end up checking in on Sasuke. Fortunately, he is finally awake, though barely. Naruto tells him what happened and Sasuke asks to go see Haku. They walk back to Zabuza's grave where Haku was unsurprisingly still standing there. Sasuke 
gives his condolences for his loss and says he understands his pain. He then asks where he was going from there. Haku then tells him he was going to accomplish his master's dream of overthrowing the Mizukage. He would collect an army and start a coup. After this interaction, they all say their goodbyes and go their respective ways. Team 7 heading back to the Leaf to start the very long process of reporting back all that happened on their mission to the Hokage. Sasuke and Naruto don't know it yet, but they will have to get ready for the tuning exams coming ahead and find a replacement for their team. In the last episode, Naruto and Sasuke were able to survive the deadly encounter with one of the bloodiest mercenaries in Biggest Trap, Zabuza and Haku, respectively. Sasuke was distraught about his weakness and that allowed one of his friends, Sakura, to be slain. Naruto, while he may be starting to build his own identity, is still following the plan of his clan, the Akatsuki to infiltrate the Leaf Village and possibly befriend Sasuke. We now move to a few weeks after the mission. Sasuke, devoted to get stronger, trains with Naruto with the daily rigor. On top of that, since Kakashi felt that he was to blame for the loss of one of his pupils in the last mission, he goes above and beyond to train Naruto and Sasuke to become more powerful, personally. He is especially enticed to do this because he wants Naruto and Sasuke to participate in the tuning exams. Kakashi, as a proper sensei, looks to see what chakra natures the two young boys possess. He finds out that Sasuke is proficient in lightning, while Naruto is proficient in wind. He is glad he will be able to teach Sasuke his signature move, the lightning blade, but is saddened that he can't offer anything to Naruto. While Naruto could learn the move, since Kakashi understands he truly does possess outstanding skills, the move would be wasted on his potential. The sensei, being as quick-witted as usual, remembers a move his old sensei, Minato, created. The Rasengan would be the perfect jutsu for Naruto, as it was a neutral style jutsu that he believed Naruto would be able to eventually form into his own. Fortunately, Kakashi did indeed know the basics of the jutsu as his sensei not only showed it to him countless times, but he had copied the jutsu using his Sharingan years before. With this, the training for his two pupils to create an ultimate move was set. It was almost time for the tuning exams and the two young ninja were able to make massive gains with constant training over the past weeks. The rigorous training actually allowed for the three to become even closer as a team, Naruto surprisingly even gaining a deeper fondness for his friend and sensei, something that he felt a bit odd as he didn't know he would feel this way from anyone outside the Akatsuki. By the time the tuning exams rolled by, Sasuke was able to learn the Chidori and Naruto the Rasengan. Kakashi knew it would be risky to send the two boys in alone without a third member, but through seeing their extraordinary progress the past few weeks, he felt very confident in their power. And while he didn't mention it, he still believed Naruto was hiding some mysterious power within him. The two go to the sign-up area. The Genjutsu in the room is child's play to them at this point, and they easily dismiss it, attracting the attention of other ninja there, specifically Neji and Lee. Neji makes a mental note of the two as he feels their overwhelming aura, but Lee wants an introduction. However, before Lee can introduce himself, Naruto and Sasuke are gone. The two sign up and begin to leave the building, but not before Lee manages to catch up with them. He asks to spar like normal, Naruto wanting to test his skills against other Leaf Ninja himself immediately accepts. As they're about to fight, Lee can tell from Naruto's stance that he is planning on holding back and Lee addresses this. 
Naruto is astonished that the ninja could tell by just looking at him and agrees to take the fight seriously. Lee knows that fighting in the base form will not be enough and he immediately opens the first two gates. Unfortunately for Lee, this is still not enough and while the fight was extremely close, Naruto was able to defeat Lee before he used the third gate and his hidden lotus. Naruto, understanding Lee's perseverance, he would have used the jutsu and caused too much commotion for himself. Lee is frustrated, but now even more motivated to get stronger. Guy Sensei then surprises Lee and congratulates him on the splendid work. He also thinks to himself how exceptional that blonde haired kid was to stop Lee before using the forbidden jutsu and causing him to intervene. Even though Guy was hidden, he wonders if the kid Genin could sense his presence which shouldn't be the case unless he too was on Jonin level. Guy takes a special note on Kakashi's pupil. As Naruto and Sasuke are heading to do some late night training, Kankuro purposely bumps into Sasuke to just cause drama to the locals. Unfortunately for Konkuro, he messed with the wrong ninja. As he picks up Sasuke by the shirt to seem threatening, Sasuke quickly uses his Sharingan Genjutsu which knocks out the unexpected Konkuro. Tamari, standing close by, thinks this is hot. The two begin walking once again, but Naruto stops and glares at Tamari, which actually makes her blush. He then tells her that her teammate, hiding in the tree, needs to stop being a coward. He then begins saying it is one thing to be sneaky, but his enormous bloodlust gives him away way too easily. Naruto is betting on this sly remark to get Gata's focus. The night prior, Obito had relayed intel to Naruto that the One Tails would be participating in exams, and that this was a chance to prove his loyalty to the Katsuki family and capture him. Gara comes down and asks for our two Genin's names. Sasuke, not even bothered, keeps walking. This pisses Gara off and he prepares to attack in broad daylight. Naruto sees this as a perfect opportunity and stops Gara from releasing his sand. Naruto then tells him it would be foolish to ruin their fun for later. Gara, back to his senses, annoyingly agrees. Naruto introduces himself and then the two take their leave. As they are leaving, Sasuke asks Naruto why he stopped the fun so early. Naruto laughs and says that would have ruined their entertainment. We now jump to the first exam. Everyone is gathered up to take a test. Sasuke and Naruto are together, but Naruto sees a surprisingly familiar face, Kabuto. He doesn't know the guy personally, but just knows he's Orochimaru's henchman. Obito had not told him that Orochimaru would be taking part in the plan. Unfortunately, Naruto can't ask Kabuto what's the reason for his appearance due to jeopardizing his cover, and he thinks Kabuto knows this fact too. The first exam continues as normal with Naruto and Sasuke passing easily. We now jump into the Force of Death exam. Naruto and Sasuke know this will be an easy dub. However, the unexpected happens in the midst of the test. Naruto realizes he's being followed. So he tells Sasuke to split off for the time being and try to collect scrolls faster. Sasuke, not seeing any problem to this plan, agrees and the two split up. Orochimaru finally makes his appearance. Naruto finally gets a chance to ask why he is here and ask if Obito sent him. Orochimaru laughs and says he is there on his own desire. Naruto just gives a suspicious look. Orochimaru tells Naruto that there's no need to give his uncle such a look. He then tells Naruto he is there to provide his new friend, Sasuke, with a power-up. He asks Naruto if he recalls Kimimaru's strange mark. Naruto confirms, and Orochimaru tells him that that mark possesses extraordinary power, and he wishes to provide one to Sasuke. Naruto then questions why he himself shouldn't get the mark as well. Orochimaru knew the kid would be sharp, so he lies and says that the QB power would inflict with the curse mark, 
which in all honestly could possibly be. With this info, Naruto agrees on getting Sasuke this curse mark as he hopes this would create a stronger training partner and friend. Naruto then asks one more thing before departing about Kimimaro's well-being. Orochimaru then says he's doing well and misses Naruto. Hopefully the two will be able to catch up after the completion of their missions. This new info makes Naruto smile a bit as his closest friend is still waiting for his return. Naruto then disperses to persuade Sasuke to gain the curse mark. Orochimaru now having a villainous smile. Unknown to Naruto, this is the first step in his plan to achieve his perfect Uchiha body. Kimimaru has finally begun showing symptoms of the illness and Orochimaru is in rush for his new body. The news would upset the Chinchurigi child, so he thinks it's best for him not to know. Once Naruto mentioned the potential for the ultimate power that would give him the edge to defeat Itachi, Sasuke immediately agrees to gain the curse mark. Orochimaru does his weird freaky neck biting on Sasuke, and now he has the curse mark. As a bonus, Orochimaru gives them the scroll they need as Naruto needs to carry Sasuke to the HQ after passing out from the overwhelming power of the curse mark. However, before they are able to arrive, some unexpected sound ninja arrive. This of course was Orochimaru's minions sent out to test Sasuke's new abilities. Sasuke ends up spontaneously waking up. Unfortunately for Zaku Abumi, his arms aren't the only thing being broken today as Sasuke being much more powerful breaks his heart, literally ending his life. Naruto understanding Sasuke is taking things way too far now due to the curse mark needs to stop him immediately as he is now about to end Kin's life next. Naruto taught by his father Nagato knows that taking a life without purpose is pointless. To quickly stop Sasuke, Naruto extracts some of the Ninetales power and knocks out Sasuke before he causes any more damage. Kin, as she thought her life was going to end, is welcomed by the glowing light of Naruto. Not sure if it was due to being saved or Naruto's charming looks, but she quickly gains a fondness towards the young Jinjuriki. Before anything can happen, Naruto apologizes to her for what has happened and he leaves with Sasuke's body. Once he leaves, Ken gets an odd feeling of motivation to meet Naruto again. Naruto finally makes it to the HQ around the same time as Gata's group. The two boys then rest and get ready for the final part of the preliminary battles. When Sasuke comes to, Naruto refrains from telling Sasuke about his misdoings while in the curse mark state, as he remembered Sasuke didn't handle death too well last time. Naruto just tells his friend that the curse mark implantation was a success, but he shouldn't try to use it anytime soon as the power could be too overwhelming at his current state. Sasuke, feeling a bit belittled by Naruto's words, somewhat dismisses him and walks away. Naruto, unsure of what he did wrong since he was telling the truth, thinks Sasuke just needs some time to mentally prepare himself for the upcoming battle. All matches go about the same other than just a handful. While Naruto could easily take out Kiba here, he does still use the power of farts to troll the poor dog boy leaving him slumped. Sasuke goes against Kabuto's henchmen and wins. Another change is that Shino goes against Shikamaru since Zaku was killed by Sasuke. Shino puts up a good fight but Shikamaru's smarts would easily get around his bugs. He probably uses shadow possession on all the bugs, giving him the dub. Also, a small note to talk about for the Neji vs Hinata fight. Since Naruto and Hinata don't really have a connection here, their interactions don't happen. Due to this, she doesn't get beat up as bad, but Neji still goes overboard from releasing his anger. However, Sasuke actually steps in here, sweeping Neji off his feet, as he doesn't have any respect for those who torment the weak.
Hinata gets flush red from seeing Sasuke helping her, but he has already left as she fumbles for her words to say thanks. Finally, the biggest change is the fight between Ino and Tra- I, I mean Sakura. Since Sakura is no longer with us, Ken will be going against Ino. Unlike the anime, Ken is not as overconfident in her skills here. She saw one of her teammates get easily slaughtered before her eyes, and that made her see a different light when she was being saved. She goes into the fight a bit more tactically. She is especially motivated when she notices Naruto looking in her direction. Ken's genjutsu and expertise in using senbons puts her above Ino and she wins the fight. She then looks over to Naruto's direction to see if he saw her performance, but she is saddened to see that he is instead apologizing to Sasuke for something. Ken doesn't know it yet, but she is determined to show her worth to Naruto. The final nine that passed the final battle is everyone from canon, but now including Ken. In the last episode, we left Naruto Uzumaki, an undercover spy from the Akatsuki, completing the second wave of the Chunin exams. Him and the other eight genin now will be moving on to the final grand battle, which will be spectated by hundreds of villagers from across the lands. After having gone through the preliminaries, the genin are informed that they will have to draw lots to see who they will go up against for the first round of the finals. They get the results, but are told that the matches will not occur today. The higher-ups inform them that they would expect to fight in a month's time. They will get the time to heal and prepare for the match. Kin being in the finals isn't the only change from Tannen. Sasuke and Naruto actually switch opponents. As per request of Naruto, he, after all, wanted to know all he could about his target before he tried executing his Chinchuriki extraction plan. Even though Naruto learned a lot from watching Gata fight against Lee, he was glad he asked Tobi to set this up when they talked last. Between him and Orochimaru's underlings, changing the results of the supposedly random draw was child's play. During the month of break, Naruto had planned to train with Sasuke, but he said that he was planning to train with Kakashi's sensei after he rested for a few days, and then go take a visit to the hospital. Naruto was disappointed by the news, but was kind of expecting it. The one thing that Naruto couldn't understand is why he was going to the hospital. It isn't like he cared about anyone who was sent there. He asked and Sasuke said that he wanted to see what intel Hinata had about the Byakugan seeing as she too possessed it. He hoped that maybe he could get some training with her if she was well enough so he knew firsthand a generalization of what to expect when fighting against Neji. Naruto thought back to how flustered Sasuke made Hinata when he rescued her and quickly added that she would certainly be well enough to help him out. Naruto was then stuck to figure out what to do with his month. Other than spy on the one-tail Shinjuriki Gara, he was entirely at a loss and decided that he should just go and get some ramen, something that has become a bit of a habit since he came to the leaf. Naruto took a seat and a steaming hot bowl of ramen was placed in front of him by the old man working there with a smile. He ate his ramen, thinking about his next move, and noticed that the girl who he encountered the night Sasuke lost control of his curse mark, Kin, just so happened to be walking by at this time. He was aware that he was lacking in skill in terms of Genjusu and recalled that she was quite skilled in the use of it. So he thought it would be good to get some pointers. Naruto then called out and invited her to have a bowl of ramen so he could ask her some questions. Ken was definitely surprised to hear the boy that saved her earlier offer an invite to sit down. She had no clue what he could want as she didn't think she had anything to offer to such a powerful shinobi. As she sat down, Naruto smiled at her to seem friendly, but this made her quickly flutter up. Naruto noticed she seemed a bit nervous for some reason, but brushed it off as nothing important. They formally introduced themselves, and Naruto questioned if he could ask her a favor. 
These words made Ken get even redder, and her imagination began to start running wild. She had no idea Naruto was that type of ninja, but she did understand she was only alive due to Naruto. She then tried to calm down as she didn't know why her body was acting like this, and asked what the favor was exactly. Naruto replied by asking if they could spar together for a couple of days to help each other out. Ken was relieved to hear this. She should have known Naruto didn't have the time for any foolish things like that. Ken said she had nothing better to do and agreed to his request. It isn't like she could even decline if she wanted to. This boy Naruto just had this magnetic quality to him and she was being pulled right in. After finishing the ramen, they sparred together and talked all the while. Naruto's understanding of Genjutsu grew a bit from the encounter, and he was even able to release some of the smaller ones she threw his way. Ken certainly found new ways to use her ability, seeing as Naruto quickly caught on to how her Genjutsu worked before. After a few hours, the two parted ways. As Naruto was wandering around the village, he noticed an old man doing some odd things near the woman's bathhouse. This man, being Jiraiya, saw Naruto walk by and asked if he wanted to do him a favor. Naruto didn't know this man, but he could tell he was quite strong from his aura alone. He thought that gaining his favor couldn't possibly be a bad thing for either of them. This ideal changed once he was asked by the old man to go into the woman's section of the nearby bathhouse, transform into the most beautiful woman he could find in there, and let him inspect the transformation for research. Naruto asked why he was asking this of him and what he'd get in return for his troubles. Jiraiya said he's been doing it himself until recently, but due to his repeated attempts to peek at the forbidden knowledge he so seeked, he was banned from the bathhouse indefinitely. He needed this knowledge in order to write the next book of his ongoing series. He pulled out a copy of the book, and Naruto recognized it to be the book that Kakashi Sensei always read. Jiraiya added that, in terms of compensation, he'd give Naruto a copy of his masterpiece, and seeing as he had a ninja headband on, he'd give him one-on-one -on -one lessons, as he was a legendary Sanin after all. Naruto recognized the term Sanin once or twice before from Orochimaru, but never specifically knew what it meant. Naruto guessed it was a special title, and seeing as Orochimaru held the same title, he was at least somewhat equal in strength as him. If he could get such a powerful tutor, he could easily get a technique that would help him in his goals. Naruto agreed to the pervy master's request. It took a few minutes, but the deed was done, and the sexy jutsu was born. Since he was already deep in the hole, he wanted to go all out for his tutor, using his shadow clone jutsu and tandem with a special breed of transformation, creating the harem jutsu. He even turned into a few more women before he was rushed out. He lost a clone of the most attractive one due to a stray chancla, aka sandal, being thrown at him at what seemed to be the speed of sound. He ended up transforming into a female version of himself to somewhat compensate for his loss. Naruto showed Jiraiya what he had accomplished, and Jiraiya wasn't at all expecting such a large turnaround. He flew back with a bloodshot nose and immediately agreed to help him train with his exam thing after he inspected every inch of every specimen to ensure that they were worthy of being put in his work. After an unbelievable amount of time, Naruto had enough of being in this form and transformed back and demands that they begin training. Jiraiya sighs, but agrees and begins running a test run to see what Naruto is all about. With amazement, Jiraiya notices that this child is nothing short of a prodigy. On top of that, his chakra reserve seems to be endless. 
However, Naruto, as he didn't completely trust the signing, made sure to keep some of his trunk cards hidden, such as the control over the Ninetales, as that might give his cover-up away. Fortunately, months before, Obito had requested Orochimaru to make Naruto's seal on his belly invisible, at least enough that it would only show up when he used an excessive amount of the QB chakra. This fact made it quite easy for Naruto to hide that he was indeed a Chinchuriki, but could he keep it up from a smart cookie like Jiraiya? For now, Jiraiya was just astonished by the kid's talents. He was left in awe when he saw Naruto had the ability to produce the Rasengan flawlessly. This of course raised the question where he learned such a technique, and Naruto told him his sensei Kakashi had shown him. This news helped lower some of the suspicion Jiraiya had on Naruto as his power made more sense with Kakashi being his teacher. However, even with that, Jiraiya had only seen greatness on this level at such a young age once before, and that boy had a legendary dojutsu to aid him in his efforts, that boy being Nagato. Though not entirely impossible for Naruto to have learned what he has through different means, Jiraiya thought to himself, what if the two boys he was thinking about held some form of bond together? Jiraiya wasn't going to ask him now, but it was certainly on his to-do list. They trained until a week before the exams. Nanato had increased his power immensely in just a short time. He was even able to persuade Jiraiya, which wasn't too difficult with the harem jutsu, to teach him the toad summoning jutsu he had witnessed him perform. Naruto then mentions he wants to see what progress his friends had made and that he should be going. Jiraiya lets Naruto know that he'll see him around seeing as he plans to stay in town for a while and that he'll be more than happy to hear all about his shooting exam results. The pervy sage wishes Naruto good luck as the two split ways. Naruto first goes to check in on Kin. They both greet each other and then Naruto asks if she's seen Sasuke around. Kin says that since yesterday he had been training with Hinata seeing as she was back to full health. Interestingly, he even took breaks from training to see her. He did say it was for training purposes, but Ken being nosy seemed there was something more to that than meets the eye. Naruto was completely shocked to hear that Sasuke was able to tolerate someone that he didn't have to be around, let alone going out of his way to see them. He would be sure to tease them once they got to where Ken said they were training. Just as Ken said, Sasuke and Hinata were sparring, but they've since fallen asleep. He was just going to wake Sasuke up, but it was the first time he had seen Sasuke so at peace. So he decided to tease him some other time. Just as he was walking away, he felt a chill run down his spine. He had felt this ominous presence before, this cold, empty feeling, shallowly filled only with rage. He recognized it to be bloodlust. He turned around quickly, and although it was dark, he could still see him standing there, a ring of sand around him. His target, Gara, seemed to be the one targeting him instead. Just as Naruto was about to prepare himself for the seemingly inevitable conflict, he stopped and stared into Gara's eyes. They were as cold and empty as his bloodlust had been just moments ago. There was rage in his eyes as well. It seemed as though he was angry at so many things, yet couldn't do anything to help himself. He'd seen that look on many people before, Sasuke included, but he was so unfamiliar with such a gaze himself. As Naruto stared longer, it was as though Gara's sadness and pain was screaming through his eyes, and he was using it as a defense mechanism. Naruto couldn't say he related to these emotions, not in the slightest. He didn't have such pain in his eyes. 
However, he now truly understood what Nagato had meant when he was lecturing him about the pain in the world. Gara's pain told a story that he couldn't possibly be able to comprehend. If he could understand him, he could help him, but he couldn't. They may share some other traits, but not the ones that mattered the most, pain and suffering. Naruto himself barely suffered through any form of pain. Gara's extreme emotions made Naruto's world crumble around him. Gara ended up doing the same, dissolving into sand. Soon, not even that remained, and Naruto was once again the only one standing there in darkness. Naruto started crying, but he didn't know why. He just sat there, unable to even move for a while until the sun finally broke the darkness. His fight with Gara and eventual abduction was no longer one he was looking forward to. Both of these would cause pain to someone who had already felt so much of it already. The sorrow and sadness would be unbearable. What would happen if he looked at others the same way he looked at Gara just now? How much suffering is in this world? How much will he cause in order to gain what the Akatsuki want? Naruto thought to himself if what he was doing was worth it, hurting someone already hurting to achieve the goals of the people he called his family? Naruto was emotionally conflicted and broken. We last left Naruto Uzumaki fighting against the worst battle he has ever had to face in his life. The battle of his moral obligations. By having contact with Gara and spending so much time in the leaf, he has learned new things that seem to have changed his perspective on the Akatsuki. He does see them as family, but he is conflicted on what he must do in this world. By the time Naruto comes too, Sasuke wakes up to the sound of sobbing. He rubs his eyes and sees that the person is Naruto. Sasuke, unsure about what to really do in this situation, gives Naruto a pat on the back and takes him out to eat some ramen. Sasuke writes a quick note explaining the situation to Hinata and they should meet again around noon to spar some more. He took Naruto to the Ichiraku ramen place and nearly emptied his wallet trying to cheer his friend up. Sasuke made a mental note to cheer him up in a less expensive way if this happens again. Naruto started talking what had happened in his month of preparation so far, and soon enough, he was telling the story with more and more vibrant details as he normally would. When Naruto got done telling his story, he asked Sasuke what had happened to him over the time period. He said that he didn't have much to say. He went to the hospital to gather information about the Byakugan from Hinata, and then went to train with Kakashi. He went back a week later to gather more information from her and repeated the same things a few times. Sasuke also adds that when Hinata was finally getting discharged from the hospital, he asked if she wanted to spar. She said yes, and they did so, and trained so hard that they fell asleep. However, Naruto could tell that Sasuke seemed to leave out a few details here and there, and you could see the gears turning in his head. Naruto went in depth about what he was told, and Sasuke sank lower in his chair with every word. Naruto saw how embarrassing Sasuke was, and pressed harder until Sasuke shouted some rather non-PG words at Naruto and stormed off. Naruto thought that he might have gone a bit overboard, but still chased him around the village until it was time for Sasuke to go back to sparring with Hinata. Naruto came along with him to train, but mainly to tease Sasuke and Hinata. One day, Sasuke didn't show up to their usual spot, and Naruto and Hinata talked for a bit. They were able to hold a fairly normal conversation before Naruto took Hinata to do his favorite activity, stupid shenanigans. Naruto decided it would be the greatest idea if they painted the Hokage heads. It turns out, Naruto was bad at art, and seeing as Hinata helped buy the paints, she was also roped into the juvenile activity. The Hyuga clan found out about this, and she was grounded until the tournament. And Naruto got a very strongly worded letter from the head of the Hyuga clan, and a more mildly worded, though still pretty clearly pissed off one from Hinata herself. Later that day, when Naruto saw Sasuke, he explained the situation, and Sasuke called him a baka. 
Sasuke knew his friend could be an idiot sometimes, so with no other options, the two sparred together for the last few days until the finals. Naruto started to realize that Sasuke was coming to practice each day with very low chakra reserves, barely enough to climb up a tree. He knew he was working on something in secret, but despite his constant pleading, Sasuke wouldn't tell him. He said he'd just have to wait until the big reveal like everyone else. He told Naruto that his taijutsu needed some work anyways, especially if he hoped to stand a chance against Neji. Hinata was challenging enough, but he's supposed to be the most impressive the Hyuga clan has to offer. Even with Hinata fumbling around, Sasuke had difficulties keeping up with the Hyuga's unique form of taijutsu without the aid of his Sharingan, showing he's been relying on it too much. He told Naruto not to hold back no matter what and to come at him with all he had. Naruto didn't want to injure his friends so close to the competition, but Sasuke seemed fine with it, so he only held back enough so that he wouldn't die in his weakened state. A few days more in his harsh training, and Naruto noticed a considerable difference in Sasuke's physical capabilities. Sasuke rested up as much as he could before the finals, and Naruto did the same. However, just as Naruto was about to get into bed, he heard a noise at his front door. When he opened it, he was greeted by none other than Obito. Even though Obito was speaking clearly to him, Naruto wasn't at all listening. He felt strange, like something had gone over him. All he could focus on was the malice that he felt towards the masked man at that moment, or rather not the malice he was feeling, but the Ninetales. Naruto was trying to keep the Ninetales' animosity under wraps, but that went without much success. Naruto, currently forced to carry out the Ninetales' will, lunged at Obito with a crazed look in his eye. His attempted attack was unsuccessful due to Obito's superior reflexes, but Obito was stunned at the speed Naruto used to shoot at him. The ferocity of Naruto's attacks grew within the next seconds, creating several clones to overwhelm Obito. This eventually worked, and Obito was forced to use his Kamui just to evade the next wave of attacks being sent his way. After creating such a disturbance, Obito realized what was going on. He decided to put this issue to rest and use his Sharingan to control Kurama. After a few seconds, Naruto returned to normal, painting, and standing around the mess that he had made in his apartment. Obito then asked if he thought he could control himself long enough to hear his message. Not like it mattered due to him putting the Bijou to sleep, but Naruto said that he was able now. Obito began saying that Naruto should be prepared for what would happen at the tuning exam, saying that they would receive a signal telling him when to act. He also added that Naruto needed to learn to control the tailed beast inside him better and not to let it take control, since he was of little use to Akatsuki if he couldn't even do that. Naruto was embarrassed, but he said that he understood what he had to do. Obito, satisfied with his answer, faced to the floor of the room. Naruto cleaned up the mess he had made contemplating just exactly what was going to happen tomorrow. With all the thoughts going through Naruto's head, he couldn't get any sleep that night. To make things even worse, during Kurama's control, he was telling Naruto that the masked man mustn't be trusted no matter what, and that he should just have killed him there where he stood. Naruto tried calming himself down and getting these conflicting thoughts out of his head, but it seemed impossible. He could still hear Kurama's voice saying to not trust the masked man, don't trust anyone who shares his robes either. It'd be best for the both of them, for all of them, if they were to be thrown out like the garbage they were. After many hours, Naruto finally got some sleep. However, he got up that morning physically and mentally exhausted. He rushed over to where the tuning exams were being held and sat by Kakashi and Team Asuma, waiting for Sasuke's match to begin. As the proctor was announcing the start of the fight, the entire arena grew silent. The battle many of them had come to here to see, the Hyuga clan versus the Uchiha clan, Byakugan versus Sharingan, the fight of the century was on the way. Finally, as everyone had been waiting for, the first hit was thrown. The fight starts off hot, 
Sasuke, taking a ranged approach at first, darts backwards and throws some shuriken towards Neji, him effortlessly deflecting it. Sasuke then sends over a fireball and some extra shuriken, but Neji deflects it with his palm rotation. Sasuke then sends a stream of fire towards Neji, forcing him to fend once more. While Neji is distracted with guarding, Sasuke begins to do his hand signs for the Shidori. Just when Sasuke is about to finish, one of the shuriken he had thrown at Neji earlier was being sent directly towards his hands. Feeling a sense of deja vu about that move, he moves his hand quickly out of the way, just in time to avoid damage. But while he is focused on the shuriken, a mix of projectiles are being sent his way. Sasuke flips backwards to dodge them only to be greeted by Neji from behind him. Neji releases his 8 trigram 64 palm, but fortunately Sasuke using his Sharingan and from all the practice with Hinata is able to dodge Neji's attempts to knock out his chakra points. Sasuke then gets a chance to once again maintain the distance he needs to keep in order to win the battle. The next move he is planning to do is going to use up a lot of chakra, but it could very well set him up going forward. He does the proper hand signs almost too fast to even see and dashes forward. Sasuke was saving all of his strength and stamina for this singular rush. Once the jutsu is activated, surprisingly, Neji isn't hit by a Chidori, at least not yet. But instead, he's caught with an improved version of the Zabuza's water prison. This move doesn't require the user's hand to be stuck in the water sphere and allows him to use other jutsus with the water as a medium. Sasuke is gambling that this move will lead to the finishing blow. He changes up his Shidori and thrusts it into the water, the electricity circling around Neji, electrocuting him from all sides. When the bubbles stop rising to the top, Sasuke lets down his water prison. Even though Neji is incredibly damaged by this attack, he is still conscious, barely. He mustered together what strength he had left and threw everything he had at Sasuke when he turned his back. He made it all the way to 128 palms and he was starting to recover from the voltage sent into him earlier. From the time Neji was young, he had exposed himself to fire and lightning style attacks as a form of training to protect the main branch in case of attack. Though this may seem cruel, this was of his own accord. He's been training his stamina almost every day which explains why he is able to stand after an attack like that. Sasuke, now on the ground and severely injured, uses his curse mark as a last resort. This is the thing he's been working on over the past month more than even the modified water prison. The stadium is instantly filled with bloodlust. Sasuke's wounds are slowly healing and he goes in for the hand-to-hand -hand combat. Even with his Byakugan, Neji is having trouble keeping up due to how fast Sasuke is moving. At this point, they are almost in equal terms of Taijutsu. Sasuke for the first time awakens the second stage of his curse mark, thinking he will be able to properly control it, but this being the mistake he'll soon regret. Now, the performance can barely be compared to each other. Sasuke is overwhelmed with nothing more than a need to hurt the person in front of him. He isn't thinking straight at all, and he becomes a monster of wrath. He lunges towards the eyes of the young Hyuga he was facing on equal grounds moments ago, and goes to yank both of them out. Neji, now powerless to stop him, is on the ground, clutching his face a few moments later. The audience is in complete silence from the shock of what they just witnessed. Sasuke slowly reverts back to the stage 1 and now starts to realize what he had just done. He robbed one of his peers of their sight. Neji could now never hope to effectively fight in combat again, forcing him to give up his career as a shinobi. Sasuke made him not only unable to see in the way that only members of his clan could, but also in the way the rest of them did as well. Sasuke, to his knowledge, has yet to even kill a man before, and he knew his actions was a thousand times worse. 
Instead of simply taking his life, he ruined it forever. Sasuke feels such hatred for himself and such sorrow for the boy who he robbed of their purpose that he's able to awaken his third Tomoe in both of his eyes. Unfortunately, all he could do now was cry, those tears releasing every bit of an apology that he could muster in his broken state. The crowd was stunned. There was no applause. There was no cheers. All that the masses could do was sit in a mixture of shock, awe, and horror. The medics carried Neji away to treat him to the best of their ability. His eyes damaged beyond salvation. Now lying on the ground in the mess that they were, Sasuke was left crying on the ground, some members of the Hyuga clan sharing those tears, but they do not cry for the same reasons. Some cry for the injustice that they just witnessed. Some cry for the injustice that they fear they'll commit. Sasuke was taken to an interrogation room to see what that power he just used was. As the crowd remained silent, the third Hokage looked to see what the next match would be and prayed that both the boys who just fought would be okay. He then announced that the next match would have to be postponed by an hour in response to what just occurred. There were no objections amongst the Kage as they were discussing what that mysterious power displayed was. In the last episode, we left in a very horrific predicament. Sasuke had just stolen Neji's innocence, and he was left without the light of sight. The third Okage had decided to hold off the next battle for an hour to get everything under control. Arch and Shuriki spy, Naruto, sat there as stunned as the rest of the audience in shock of what had happened. He knew Sasuke wouldn't normally do such a thing, but like the rest of them, he knew exactly what the cause was. Knowing that the power given to Sasuke by Orochimaru is what had been the cause of this, he sat in silence as the only one without ignorance to this situation. If such an overwhelming and uncontrollable power had been bestowed to Sasuke with nothing more than a bite, he wondered how many more of Orochimaru's men shared this power. He knew of at least one, that being Kimimaru, and knew there had to be more. Orochimaru's power truly was more incredible than Naruto had initially thought, and he was glad to be aligned with him. Speaking of which, the plan to be carried out would surely involve him. So, when was it supposed to start? Moments after thinking this, the sign Naruto was supposed to look out for had occurred. A drowsy feeling came over him, a comforting warmness filling his entire being. Just as he was about to pass out, he realized that this was the Genjutsu seeing as many people around him began falling asleep. From all of his training with Itachi, and most recently with Kin, releasing the Genjutsu was child's play. He came to full attention within several seconds. As the Konoha invasion is put into high gear, Naruto looks around for something specific for him to do. He was left in confusion until he saw a barrier form on top of the roof. Looking over to where the Kage had been just moments ago, the Hokage and Kazakage were nowhere to be found, and Naruto had the feeling that they may be on the rooftop. Ignoring the combat raging all around him, Naruto decides to go on top of the rooftop to see if what's happening there could help him decide what he has to do. Kakashi notices Naruto leave, but is too busy fending off the intruders to stop his pupil. Naruto, finally reaching the rooftop, saw that there was a fight breaking loose inside the barrier between the third Hokage and Orochimaru. Their fight has yet to truly begin, but he sees on top of the roof multiple people he recognizes to be Anbu, mere spectators to the show about to occur. As Naruto shifted his focus back to the fight for a moment, a blood-curdling scream was let out in the direction of the Anbu, only to be silenced a moment later. He looked back to where they were standing just moments ago and saw that each of their bodies had been impaled with a familiar object, a sharpened bone. Coming from behind the victims was Naruto's old friend, Kimimaru, looking tired and defeated. 
After briefly greeting his friend, Naruto asked why he was there in the Leaf Village and why he looked so tired. Kimimaru thought for a minute and said that he was there completing another task for his master. And by the time he had come back, Orochimaru and the Sound 4 had left. Wanting to still assist in any way he could, he rushed all the way here from the base Orochimaru was currently staying at. Even though this was a convincing lie, in reality, Kimimaro's sickness had progressed to a point in which he was no longer deemed necessary to his master and was left behind as Orochimaru and the Sound 4 had headed out for this mission. Wishing to prove Orochimaru wrong, Kimimaro stumbled his way over here in order to fight alongside his master once more, only for him to arrive too late. Naruto, not expecting Kimimaro to lie to him, believed the whole story without fail, even though he felt a bit uneasy about his friend's current state. Suddenly, Naruto noticed that three genin of the sand village came rushing out of their arena and darted into the trees, one of which, Gara, seemed to be injured. Just moments before in the arena, Gara's animosity got the better of him due to the bloodshed occurring all around. Tamari and Konkura knew better than to get close to him while he was like this and quickly backed off. Gara lunged at the person nearest to him, Kin being that person, and readied to a slaughter them. Fortunately, Kin noticed the attack in time to reach into her pocket and pull out a whistle, blowing into it, casting a quick genjutsu that gave Gara a sense of vertigo. She then threw a few senbon and kunai at Gara. Tamari, quick to realize what was going on, opened her fan and sent a gust of wind to deflect the projectiles. Though deflecting the majority of them, a few still made their mark. Since Gara wasn't in the right state of mind, his sand failed to react quick enough. This led to Gara, without his sand skin surrounding him, shed some blood from the scratch. He started to have a mental breakdown from this and collapsed from the stress of the situation, as well as the vertigo Genjutsu Kin casted on him just moments ago. Being swiftly swept aside by a powerful blast of wind, Kin was on the ground as Tamaru and Konkuro escaped with Gara. Despite neither of the two on the rooftop knowing what happened, Naruto recognized that his target was escaping and leapt after them. Without missing a beat, Kimimaru does the same, wishing to be of service to at least one person while he was here. Naruto was glad to be fighting alongside Kimimaru once more, but was in no means thrilled his opponent was Gara. Thinking back to what he saw in Gara's eyes a few nights prior, he knew he wouldn't be able to fight him fully if that's all he could see. He attempted to see him as part of a mission, a mere piece of the puzzle he had to collect in order for the Akatsuki to finish it. Naruto was still hesitant to fight Gara, but it was the closest he could get to being okay with it at the moment. Catching up at last to the Sand Siblings, Kimimaru wastes no time with formalities. He immediately targets Tamari due to her fan giving away the fact that she is a long-range fighter. He deemed her to be a bigger threat to Naruto's success due to his short range of pros in combat. Tamari evaded most of the attacks at first, but quickly became overwhelmed when Kimimaru increased his rate of attack. His attack patterns began turning irregular as she couldn't predict his next move. Tamari, too busy evading attacks and blocking what she could with her fan, wasn't able to formulate a strategy. As she tries to get some distance, Kimimaru thrusts his foot into the ground and creates a wall of bones behind her. When Tamari dashes backwards, coming into contact with the wall, Kimimaru thrusts both of his hands into the ground, creating more walls, trapping her within a cage-like structure, and closing it from above and underneath as well, so she couldn't hope to move, let alone escape from the cell. As this is going on, Konkuro is forced to both fend off Naruto and protect Gara until he awakens. Naruto rushes at him, aiming for Gara at first, hoping to simply capture him while he is unconscious. Konkuro unwraps his puppet before Naruto can reach him, causing him to stop and wonder what this technique is, a typical Naruto move. Konkuro sends the puppet on the offensive, trying to take advantage of Naruto's state of awe. 
Naruto snaps back to reality and evades his attack in the nick of time. He remembers hearing about an Akatsuki member that was a puppet master, and regrets not being able to meet him. With the exception of a few members based on the judgment of Pain and Konan, as well as Obito, Naruto hadn't really met any of the other members in the organizations he called family. He'd have to change that, but first, he needed to get out of this situation. Naruto, after fighting Konkuro for a while, gauged the puppet's abilities, incorrectly however, as the puppeteer was still hiding many of its abilities. Just when Naruto was about to go on the offensive, the puppet's arm grew far longer than what it was before. A spike shot out from the arm. This unexpected movement caused Naruto to be caught off guard enough to be grazed by the poison-coated blade. Naruto decided to end the battle by creating a clone, each of them coming towards the puppet in opposite directions. While the clone sacrificed itself restricting the puppet's movements, Naruto came rushing in with a Rasengan. Even though he headed directly, the puppet only lost its arms due to Konkuro blocking the attack avoiding the more vital parts of it. Konkuro prepares his next attack, the spike in the puppet's mouth now directly facing Naruto, allowing him little time to escape. Having dealt with Amari, Kimimaru creates a spine whip, wrapping it around the puppet and pulling it towards him, saving Naruto. Making multiple protrusions from his skin, he is able to dispatch the puppet, but at the cost of even more of Kimimaru's dwindling stamina. He was now breaking a sweat and gasping for air, and although Naruto knew he had just fought another enemy and had just dealt with the one he was facing, he couldn't believe his powerful rival would be getting tired so soon. Not the Kimimaru he knew. Something was wrong, but he had no time to think about it now seeing as Gara had just gotten up. The option to peacefully capture him was now thrown out the window. Naruto and Kimimaru, both knowing this fight couldn't last much longer for either of them, they decided to come at Gara with everything they had. Their efforts actually worked flawlessly until Gara starts transforming. This forces Kimimaru to awaken the first stage of his curse mark to make up for the fact that he was losing strength. Naruto, still affected by the poison, is weakening as the battle progresses. In hopes of fighting the poison, he extracts some of his tailed beast power. Surprisingly, the healing effects lowers the chemical's potency. He then uses the multi-shadow clone jutsu in hopes of overwhelming Gata. Even though Naruto is weakened, this works better than it does in canon due to each of the clones possessing Naruto's knowledge of taijutsu as well as his possession of the Rasengan. The clones end up striking and bludgeoning the host of the One Tails from all directions with Rasengans. This attack in combination with Kimimaru's attacks is super effective against Gara, causing him to be immobilized. Unfortunately, the attack also caused Naruto to lose much of his chakra and stamina, making him severely weakened. However, Naruto knows he can't drop here. He goes over to Kimimaru, who is back to normal and barely able to walk, and carries him towards the hideout he knows Orochimaru has in the area. Before they leave the area, Gara calls out to Naruto, asking why he was sparing him when he could easily kill him here and now. Naruto responds, saying that there was a conflict of interest between his goals and those of his loved ones, so he couldn't kill him right now. Also, unknown to Naruto, every time he uses the QB chakra, the tailed beast is able to subconsciously manipulate Naruto's mind and attempt to foil the Akatsuki plans. On top of that, even if he wanted to capture Gara right now, due to his own strength being so depleted, he couldn't carry both Gara and Kimimaru back. To Naruto, Kimimaru was a bigger concern than completing his mission. He'd just have to wait till later, so Naruto told Gara to look forward to that as he continued to leave. Gara lied there in silence, pondering what he had meant by that. Why that boy with him was so important to Naruto. Why he couldn't have someone like that. His jealousy faded the more he thought about it, turning instead to rage. He had once someone important to him, only for him to be betrayed by them. 
That person attempted to dispose of him when it suited them. Rage faded to confusion. What did he do so wrong to the serve? What had happened to him back then? Why couldn't he find love like all others around him? Confusion grew to determination. It was the damn beast inside of him that caused him so many sorrows. And he'd conquer it if it cost him his life. He'd find his own meaning of love thereafter, showing anyone who believed him to be anything short of human wrongly. He would aim to achieve the happy life he had always dreamed of. But first, he had to get up. After several unsuccessful attempts of getting up, he decides to just lay there and ponder. To his surprise, his brother Konkuro came to grab him, asking for Gara to free Tamari from the cage she was in so they could get out of there already. After much effort, he eventually does so, leaving Tamari free of her prison. Just as they are preparing to leave, a squadron of Anbu surrounded them, stopping them from advancing back to their village. Gara thinks he might be able to take out a few of them, but wonders if the bloody battle would even be worth it. It finally hits him that the loved ones he should be protecting have been right next to him the whole time. His older siblings. Tamari and Konkuro had always been there for him. This makes Gara smile a bit. He ends up surrendering to the Ambu with the weakened Konkuro and Tamari following suit, who are a bit confused. Gara isn't sure if this is the right course of action, but at least he knows this way he will be able to keep his siblings safe for the time being. The Anbu restrain them and take them back to the village for questioning. On another front, Naruto is fighting the clock. He has just arrived at Orochimaru's hideout, but things are looking very grim. Kibimaru is getting worse by the second. Naruto is doing everything in his power to keep his friend alive, but he is slowly seeing him fade away. He isn't sure what's going on and is about to snap, allowing the Ninetales to take control. However, just as things are about to turn bad, Naruto feels a warmth around him. And once he snaps back, he sees Ken is holding him tightly. In the last episode, we left Naruto weeping and almost going off in a rage. Fueled by the condition of his friend, Kimimaru and the Ninetales' influence. Fortunately, there was someone there to comfort him. Ken sat there in silence, hugging Naruto as his tears ran free. Eventually, Ken let go to face Naruto and asked what was wrong with the boy lying on the floor. After a moment of silence, Naruto responded saying he didn't know, but he seemed to be dying. Kin put one of Kimimaru's arms around her and asked Naruto to do the same. She knew she may not be much help here, but she knew where the lab was in this place and led them there. The two of them placed Kimimaru on a table and waited for the return of either Orochimaru or Kabuto, seeing as both of them would be more suited for healing him than both of them combined. First came Kabuto arriving back without a scratch. The same, however, could not be said of Orochimaru. Coming to the hideout soon after with the Sound 4 carrying him, his arms now out of commission. Of course, Orochimaru demanded that Kabuto work on himself before that lost cause. With the response, Naruto was about to start a fight, but Kin interrupted him, thanking Orochimaru for being so kind as to allow him healing at all before rushing him out of the room. Kin quickly explained to Naruto that the mood Orochimaru was in was dangerous, and we better not to anger him more than he already was. Naruto agreed to remain silent for now, the two of them walking away from the room. Naruto asked where a room was so he could get some rest, and Kin led the way to one of the many. He then laid on the bed, closed his eyes, to finally get some well-deserved rest. Naruto was awoken by a knock at the door. Opening it, he was greeted by Kabuto. Naruto asked if he knocked because he had news of Kimimaru's condition. Kabuto, in a tone concerning Naruto, said yes. He went on about the history of Kimimaru's condition. The symptoms had started just after Naruto had left for his mission, and it had worsened immensely since then. Kabuto added that no matter how hard he searched, due to his unfamiliarity with Kimimaru's physiology, he couldn't find a cure. 
He would die soon if he couldn't find a proper treatment. However, Kabuto explains he has a plan for one. All that is needed to be done was to find a new body for Orochimaru, and their combined efforts would be able to heal him right up. Naruto asked what he had meant by finding Orochimaru a new body, and Kabuto briefly explained how Orochimaru transferred his soul into different vessels so as to gain immortality of some form. He then asked who the new host would be, and was given an answer that made his blood turn cold. Sasuke. As Kabuto turned to leave, he added that though Naruto didn't have to come to a decision immediately, he would have to make one and act upon it soon, whether he would let Sasuke or Kimimaru live. As the door closed behind him, Kabuto smirked for himself. At the stage of Kimimaru's illness, even with the aid of Orochimaru, their combined effort would not be enough to save the poor teen. Now, Naruto couldn't even hope to save Sasuke either. Orochimaru needed a host, and soon, he'd stop at nothing to have Sasuke as his new body. Damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Kabuto had just put Naruto in a situation where he would inevitably fail no matter what choice he would make, and it filled him with great pleasure. He couldn't stand Naruto, allowed to be happy while he couldn't remember the last time his joy wasn't superficial. Both the power and the mind to live the life he wanted to live, whereas Kabuto was doomed to never know who he even really was due to him playing role after role for everyone but himself. Every word out of Naruto's mouth made Kabuto's teeth grind. Every breath the boy took, he wanted to snuff out. They had some similarities in their background, but even with that, they were polar opposites. Kabuto forced to play act after act for master after master until everything that once remained of him was gone. And Naruto, growing up in a way that he could have enough freedom and power to know who he was even at such a young age. In Kabuto's mind, this is simply an act to close the gap between them. Naruto still sitting there trying to process what he was just told. He sat in silence for quite some time. In times like these, a bowl of ramen would help sort his mind. But that luxury is now gone. Kurama took advantage of Naruto's current weakened state as a means to break through the mental barrier Naruto had been trying to put between them. He told Naruto the inconsistencies in Kabuto's story and that he was trying to deceive him. However, this only added to the mental turmoil he was feeling and not in a way the fox had hoped. There was a hectic jumble of hundred different little things. Naruto's mind was in chaos right now. Despite the Nine Tails attempt to calm him down, nothing he said got through to Naruto. He stayed like this for hours before he passed out from exhaustion, crying himself to sleep. He woke up the next morning, ate a small meal, and began to think once more about what he would do. Ken asked Naruto about the situation, and he dejectively told her that he could only save one of his closest friends. One would die soon anyway if he didn't act in time. She wasn't sure how she could help Naruto, but she hated to see him hurting. All Ken could do was talk to him for a while and be there for him. As they sat there talking, Kimimaru entered the room. Naruto immediately shot up and rushed towards him and told him to lay down instead of wasting his energy moving around. Kimimaru just laughed at him and told him he was still plenty strong even at death's door and that he'd be fine for quite some time more. Seeing Kimimaru so upbeat despite the circumstances put Naruto at ease for the time being. Naruto then asked for him to sit down and he did so. He then asked why Kimimaru didn't tell him about his sickness when they had met on the rooftop a few days prior. Kimimaru sat there for a few seconds in silence before responding. He said he didn't want to be treated differently than he had been before he was sick. 
His master saw less of him. Most of his peers lived in fear of him. The only other person he interacted with, Kabuto, treated him more as a subject of study as opposed to a person. And although he didn't fault any of them for their judgment, it hurt being treated as an outcast in a world of outcasts. To have his only true friend treat him as something lesser than he once was would be unbearable for him at this time. Now that the reality has befallen him and the theoretical was done, he was happy to see it was at least a more muted version of his expectation. Naruto apologized, saying he was only concerned for his health, but Kimimaru told Naruto he needs to accept his forced reality. He was going to die. Whether this changed Naruto's view of him or not was ultimately up to him, but his death seemed to be his only constant in the world of variables. It was fastly approaching. Kimimaru got up from the table and thanked the two for their company before taking his leave. Naruto went to chase after him, but Ken stopped him, saying he likely wanted some space. Ken offered that they train together so that he could get ready for any course of action he eventually chooses, and Naruto agreed. Eventually, the Sound 4 came out of the hideout, saw the two training, and wished to join them. After they do, the Sound 4 are interested in what they see, particularly from Naruto, and asked if they could fight him one-on-one. -on -one. At first, Naruto lost against them all, but over the course of the next couple of days, he was able to win, or at least come to a stalemate against each of them. Though, no one was truly going all out due to them not fighting to the death, Naruto's adaptability was something that all of them recognized. Tayuya, frustrated that Naruto was able to break out of her genjutsu on occasion, frequently asked for a rematch whenever she lost. His resistance to Genjutsu grew every time they fought until it was more unusual for it to work on him than not. Tayua was forced to accept her defeat after that and distance herself out of shame. Kirumaru was another to frequently ask for a fight due to the difficulty and this caused him and Naruto to form a mutual respect for each other. After several more days of training, Naruto came to the decision that he would try to save Kirumaru, even if it meant that Sasuke had to be sacrificed for the sake of that. Even if his cover wasn't completely blown, they were technically enemies now anyways. On top of that, Kimimaru had been his friend long before Sasuke had. The choice was painful, but it was the one that made the most sense. Informing Kabuto of his choice, preparations were made for him along with the Sound 4 to head into the Leaf Village for the following day. As Naruto was planning what he would say to Sasuke the next day, Kimimaru was talking to only one person other than Naruto that he could consider a friend. Jugo. They had been talking for quite some time now about how Kimimaru's illness took a turn for the worse, and that he would soon be leaving this world. His final request to Jugo was to take care of Naruto after he was gone. He added that if Jugo broke into a rage as he was prone to, Naruto would be able to put a stop to him before he could hurt anyone. Jugo said that this Naruto seemed to be very important to him, to which Kimimaru responded, he was. Jugo agreed to protect Naruto, saying that someone so important to his friend must be someone worth following. Kimimaru thanked him for his friendship before turning to leave. Jugo saw the conflicted look on Kimimaru's face and asked what he intended to do when he left that room. He simply answered he wasn't quite sure yet and left the room. Sometime later, Kimimaru was confronted by Kabuto telling him that Sasuke would succeed where he was unable to and become the vessel to Orochimaru's future in every sense of the phrase. Kabuto added that his illness caused his master to take a body before Orochimaru had a chance to properly foster his strength. 
persuading Kimimaru to join Naruto's efforts. Kabuto could tell that Naruto was going to ensure that he made it to Orochimaru, and it was all part of the plan he had just devised. With Naruto and Kimimaru, as well as the Sound 4, all coming to collect Sasuke, there was no doubt in his mind that they would succeed in that regard. On top of that, the more casualties they suffered, the better, because he intended to kill Orochimaru anyways as he was transferring his soul into the body of the Uchiha brat. To help the success of this plan, he had erased all of his curse seals, so he could ensure that Orochimaru could never be resurrected. Then, finally, he could live free, out from under the snake's suffocating shadow. He had been his pawn long enough, and he'd never be anything more if Orochimaru wasn't done away with. Serving master after master, he's lost sight of anything that once remained of himself. Perhaps he was meant to be a man to slay the most infamous of the legendary Sani. Perhaps the reputation he got from that would help him find what else he was meant to be. Regardless, his puppets had to die while still ensuring Sasuke still got turned over to Orochimaru. If Naruto died in that as well, he didn't care. However, Kabuto realized that he would have to give some form of aid to someone in the Leaf Village to stop Sasuke from going to Orochimaru but not powerful enough to completely stop the team of six on their own. With a target and a tail in mind, he set off to Konoha to set his plan into action. Naruto, anxious for the next day's arrival, was barely able to sleep. He, unbeknownst to the true happenings going around him, still believes that he has to sacrifice Sasuke in order to save Kimimaru. His resolve has grown stronger from seeing his dear friend lose hope of any chance of survival. However, he still wasn't sure how he would be able to convince Sasuke to go with him, especially while Naruto knew exactly what would happen when he did. He succumbed to his exhaustion and fell asleep. The next second he knew, he was awoken by the shaking of someone he'd seen so many times before, Obito. Trying to remember how many times Obito had randomly appeared before Naruto while he was trying to sleep, he asked what he wanted. Obito reminded him in his failure to capture the One-Tails, telling him that he had one more chance before he'd take care of this matter himself and that Naruto would feel the repercussions. Naruto told the masked man once again he would not fail, hoping that what he said was true. Naruto was now stressed more since he was now reminded that he needed to persuade Sasuke and capture Gara. However, Naruto took a deep breath and began to smile, as this connection brought up a wonderful plan that he could use to kill two birds with one stone. Literally. We last left off our devious Shinjurugi being forcefully awoken by Obito to remind him that his mission in capturing the one-tailed Shinjurugi, Gara. Naruto was in an extremely stressful situation, having to come up with something to make his family happy and having to save his longtime friend Kimimaru by sacrificing his newer friend Sasuke. This situation led him to a diabolical plan that would allow him to capture both Sasuke and Gaara. With that, we now jump back a few hours prior to when Naruto was awoken by Obito. Kabuto has just snuck into the hidden leaf in order to set up a plan of his own. He knew the intricacies of the village from his earlier observations as a spy. Furthermore, he noticed something very particular. Gara had changed. He was helping rebuild the village his own people had helped destroy, as well as treating his siblings less coldly. It was obvious his encounter with Naruto had quite an effect on him. With this, Kabuto hoped to take advantage of these changes. After some time of stalling, Kabuto rushed towards the young shinobi of the sand and immediately began telling the story he had come up with. Gara was confused onto who Kabuto was, but he was aware that he was supposedly a subordinate of the person who orchestrated the recent invasion, Orochimaru. Kabuto came to Gara to tell him that Naruto was told to capture Sasuke tomorrow. Doing so would let him be awarded. 
Naruto said he would do it for the award, but Kabuto convincingly told Garo that he didn't want any more innocent people involved in his master's plan. Knowing that there were other higher-ups in the village involved with him, Kabuto came directly to Gara because he wasn't from the village. With Gara's new helpful attitude and him being aware of Naruto's sinister side, he buys the story and tells Kabuto he will do everything in his power to put a stop to this. Kabuto gave him some more information about each of the members he would have to face, as well as directions to Orochimaru's hideout, telling him the best time to act would be at dawn. As Kabuto left, he smirked to himself due to everything going as intended. Gara went to the apartment he and his siblings were staying at in order to tell them what was going on. Seeing him still early into the night, Gara hoped the two of them would help him come with a plan of some sort. There, however, were three people who had overheard this story, one of which was Sasuke himself. Heard that the rumors were true and his former teammate was in fact a traitor, and not only to the village, but to him as well. He ran off as soon as he heard this to sort his thoughts and plan his next move. The second person was Shikamaru, who was trying to take a nap, but now that he knew what was going on, he had to help, even if it was a drag. The last of the eavesdroppers was an agent of the Root sent to spy on Gara while they were staying in the village. This is the only reason Donzo didn't oppose to him staying. Leaving immediately to let his master know of the information he'd acquired, Shikamaru was the only one left who had heard the entirety of Kabuto's intel. He chased after Gara, who had left moments before, formulating a plan of attack as he went. When the informant arrived to Donzo, he was unsurprised to know that the outsider, Naruto, was a traitor. Knowing it was Orochimaru who had asked the boy to stay in the village, he couldn't oppose it any more than Hiruzen could. After all, it was the snake who had given him his arm in the first place. Even with that act, he'd still be in debt, and now wasn't the time to think of that. He was after Uchiha, and as unfortunate as it was, he couldn't simply allow him to be in the hands of Orochimaru for him to weaponize against the leaf. Not only that, but his life would be cut short if Itachi knew of his brother's demise. He couldn't afford to let the boy die, at least not now. The only good news was that he was reminded of someone who would prove to be something quite useful to his future endeavors. He turned to his spy, telling him to form a squad together prioritizing the capture of Sasuke Uchiha before all else but, if possible, also capturing Kimimaru as the next objective. Somewhere else in the leaf, Shikamaru had chased Gara down all the way to his apartment. Out of breath and questioning if Sasuke was even worth it at this point, he considered turning around and just telling someone else to deal with it. However, a common Kabuto maid stuck with him. Shikamaru was usually able to figure out complex issues like the one he was facing fairly easily. For some reason, this case was different which meant something fishy was going on. He didn't know Naruto like he did in canon, but he could tell the boy was surely strong and self-motivated by his ambitions. He didn't think Naruto could go as far as to capture his friend for some simple award. There had to be more to the story. Was he forced to? Did he have a good reason? As much of a drag as it was, his mind wouldn't be at rest until he asked Naruto these questions in person. He let out a sigh and barged upstairs into Gara's place of residence. He opened a door and they all just stared at each other for some time before Gara finally asked if he was one of the people who had overheard his conversation with Orochimaru's servant who had sold him out. Shikamaru asked what he had meant by one of them, before deciding it didn't matter much seeing as he didn't know any of the Sen getting well enough to trust their response. So he cut Gara off and said yes, he was. Tamari was pissed off that he would dare interrupt Gara when not only did he ask the question, but he also was intruding upon their property. Before she had a chance to act, Gara silenced her, asking Shikamaru if he had come to help them. 
Shikamaru said yes, and before Tamari had a chance to protest, Gara invited him in. As he came in, they all began discussing what they had come up with for the plan so far. Eventually, Gara and Konkuro sat there as Shikamaru and Tamari argued with each other about what should be done, creating a more concrete plan as they continued. Konkuro eventually grew tired of this and went to bed, telling Gara to wake him up whenever it was time to head out, assuming he could get any sleep. The two of them eventually left to gather the members they agreed upon to join them in their operations, and Gara was left there alone as he tried to do the same thing he'd failed in days, negotiate with Shukaku. This had proven mostly unsuccessful thus far, and he was at the stage where he was even ignoring Gara. As childish his behavior was, Gara couldn't comment on it, or even think about it as he continued in vain to control the Sandy. Several hours later, Shikamaru and Tamari were able to gather only Shino, Kiba, and Shoji out of the bed considering what time it was, the last of which had to be bribed. Shino, the most essential to their operation, was able to come along due to the events of this mission happening several weeks before the one in canon. As it was nearing sunrise, they barely had enough time to get Gara and Konkuro and head out. They needed to go stop Sasuke and whoever was capturing him. On another perspective, Danzo's root agent who was tasked with capturing Sasuke was running low on luck. He tried asking anyone available if they could assist him with this important mission, but they all either seemed busy or weren't around. As he attempts to search for people to join him, Sasuke sprints onward to the location that Kabuto had told Gara. He was running on nothing but his emotions right now against all reason. How could Naruto possibly betray him? Had all they've been through meant nothing to him? Was he just a nuisance during his actual task of gathering information? He didn't know. He didn't know at all, and his pace slowed the closer he got to the location. He eventually stopped and fell to the ground in anger, and then began having a mental breakdown. He then attempted to call on himself, trying to rationalize why he even came out here. The same, however, could not be said by the retrieval team who had just arrived at the hideout. Staying hidden from view, the team of seven sat and discussed what role each of them had. Shino, already knowing his role, went inside, dispersing his bugs all throughout the hideout, latching many of them onto those to sleep. Gara suddenly heard Shukaku's voice for the first time in ages, saying that one who had bested them last time was also carrying a bijou inside of him. That being Kuruma. Seeing as Gara wanted to use the Tail Beast power so badly, Chikaku would bestow his power on the condition that they show that arrogant fox just how weak he was. The temporary partnership would take some time to link, so it would postpone his teammates' plan, but it would pack a bigger punch in the end. Gara wondered what exactly the Tail Beast planned on doing that would make him speak out after so much time of silence. Nothing good was to be certain, but Gara thought that allowing the One Tails to do what he wanted would satisfy him enough to the point that they may be more cooperative in the future. Gara said he'd agree to the condition as long as he wouldn't harm anyone gathered here. Chicago responded as he was taking over Gara's body that the only ones hurting should be the people in the base as long as his allies took a few steps back. Gara, partially transformed, went into an area where the One Tails could fully transform, and once he did, he let out a chuckle, telling all Gara's allies to sit back and enjoy the show. As they backed away from the area, a great amount of chakra was being formed in the One Tails' mouth, its chakra growing more and more perceivable as the attack evolved. The chakra, now taking form, appeared to be a growing dark violet mass, slowly growing as more chakra was put into it. Seconds later, it seemed to have stopped growing, and the fully formed tailed beast bomb gets shot out towards the base. It moved quite slowly, Shikaku showing his disappointment by his groans and 
stomps. However, as the giant orb made impact, its detonation site grew many times larger than itself. The beast's mood instantly shifted at this, him erupting with laughter, him taunting the Ninetales all the while. Everyone in the base was confused by the explosion with the exception of Kurama, who had felt the approaching attack in time to cover Naruto in enough chakra to shield him from the impact. Annoyed it took so much of his chakra to do so. The blast hadn't killed anyone important, but many of Naruto's allies did take some severe damage. Except Kibimaru, who was out in the forest using what little time he had to locate Sasuke. As the dust cleared, Naruto was the only one still standing. He was confused and disorientated. Then as he looks down, he sees blood all over his body. But it isn't his own. He looks down even further and sees Ken is in critical condition. All the emotions that have been bottled up finally explode and the Ninetale takes hold. Kurama uses his opportunity to aim all his power at that sorry excuse of a tailed beast, Shukaku. Further away, Sasuke heard the explosion created by the tailed beast bomb and pulled himself together and quickly headed out towards the sound. However, before he gets far, he is confronted by none other than Kimimaru. While this is happening, Kabuto is watching in the distance and is amused by everything. His chaotic plan is turning out quite nicely. He then makes his move towards Orochimaru's direction, attempting to use the confusion to his advantage. In the last episode, we left massive chaos breaking out in our Naruto universe. Starting just south of the main battlefront, Sasuke and Kimimaru meet in a densely forested area near Orochimaru's hideout. Sasuke, noticing the beads of sweat dripping from the boy's forehead despite the briskness of his air around them. He could tell that he had been running for hours, just finally catching his breath. Whether he be friend or foe, he had no time for either, and now would be the best time to subdue him before continuing on to Naruto. As Kimimaru regained his breath enough to speak once more, he is quickly cut off by Sasuke lunging at him to test the strength of the potential adversary. And while Kimimaru would normally grant such a thing, he hadn't a time left on earth to waste even a second with this fight. As he jumps back and readies himself for combat, we pan over to Naruto who was left oozing a malicious chakra from every fiber of his being. A mere agent to the rage he feels seeing Ken on the critical state she is in. Without hesitation, Naruto attacks Garo with the power granted to him by Kurama. As Garo sees Naruto coming towards him, he attempts to keep his range and attempts to slow Naruto down by going on the defensive so that Tsukaku can regain enough chakra to attack at his fullest. However, this idea seems to be nullified as a single punch cracks his sand armor to the point that he begins to feel the impact of it. As Gar begins collecting sand under his feet to hover over the battlefield to attack his enemy from the air, Naruto grabs him, slamming him through his gathered sand and dragging him away. Gaara tried to break free and while successful, resulted in Naruto hitting him with all his might. This single blow shattered the remaining of Gaara's sand armor. As Gaara tried to repair the armor before Naruto could realize this opening, Naruto flung him in the direction he was dragging him before. As Gaara was flying, he saw something that made him realize why Naruto went berserk. There lies Kin, injured by his own attack on the base, while the others who were around the area, though still injured, were well enough to engage everyone else in combat. The same could not be said for her. He just heard someone very important to Naruto, enough that her injury would elicit such a response from him. As the true gravity of Gaara's action set in, Naruto was rushing towards him once more, and Gaara allowed himself to be hit. He felt as if he deserved it all. This one-sided battle kept continuing until Naruto finally regained his senses. He realized Gaara refused to fight anymore, and on top of that, 
he noticed a potentially bad situation breaking out. Kabuto was standing over what looked like Orochimaru's corpse, but in reality, Orochimaru was creeping behind Kabuto to eliminate the traitor. Even though Kabuto should have known how shifty the snake was, he got arrogant letting his guard down, boasting over his supposed victory before it was certain. Just as when it seemed Kabuto's death was inevitable, Naruto was able to grab Orochimaru. This left Kabuto in disgust to be saved by Naruto and immediately went for the attack whilst Orochimaru was restrained. Unfortunately, he was already a step ahead of him and escaped Naruto's grasp by transforming into a snake. As he transferred back to confront Naruto and Kabuto, Gaara decided his interference wasn't needed and moved out to help his siblings and the Konoha Genin that had come to the hideout as well. Much to his surprise, many of them were handling themselves quite well. Whenever one found a hard match, they swapped out with another to see if they would be better suited. Shikamaru's brain and Tamari's wit was definitely at play here. To further help their cause, Shino was able to release parasitic insects on the Sound 4, draining their chakra even when they went into their curse mark mode, allowing them to be restrained in the time being. As Gara marched onto the battlefield to help lighten the load of his allies, an unmistakable sound was heard in the distance. It was the sound of a Chidori in use. Naruto, distracted by the sound thinking Sasuke was nearby fighting someone, took a heavy hit from Orochimaru. Though Kabuto did what he could to heal him, he couldn't stay in one place far too long due to the ongoing battle, so Naruto had to rely on Kurama to heal him. While he was surprised at first that the Ninetales was being so cooperative, he knew now that it was only because Orochimaru was a member of the Akatsuki, the organization it hated above all else. Shifting our focus once more back to Kimimaru and Sasuke's match, Kimimaru, unprepared for the Chidori just thrown his way, was hit with the full force of it. While his second skin of bone certainly did help to defend against it, all it really did was ensure that it didn't pierce him clean through. While he began losing consciousness, he simply looked at Sasuke and told him to keep advancing forward where Naruto awaited him. While Sasuke was put into a panic, believing he had killed yet another person, Kimimaru noticed this and simply told Sasuke, assuming he does die, today was such a wonderful day, and that he should get a move on before he changed his mind to fight. Truly though, he was too tired of fighting when he hadn't the desire to. For his master or not, he wouldn't spend his final moments fighting. He wanted his last moments to have the fullest of grace something that was absent during his life. As Sasuke ran off, Kimimaru sat down and looked to the sky, enjoying its light as his vision dimmed. In the surrounding woods, three people were on their way to join the mayhem. The agent of Root, Obito, coming to ensure the possession of the One Tails, as well as the Nine Tails if it came down to it, and surprisingly, Itachi, who was tailing Obito unbeknownst to him in an attempt to protect Naruto and his brother Sasuke from Obito's clutches. With this, Itachi used this time to collect intel on Obito, noticing his ability to face through objects. He already knew of the masked man's shotting gun, so he assumed he must have awakened his Mangekyo in order to gain such a power. While he wasn't sure of the power's other capabilities just yet, he would keep observing from afar until his presence was necessary. We now move back to Naruto and Kabuto fighting Orochimaru. The snake realized that he wouldn't survive this battle much longer, so he attempted to make an escape. Kurama, feeling the shift in his intent, took over Naruto's body, transforming into this four-tailed form in a split second. As Kabuto was still fighting Orochimaru, this time far more cautious than he was before, 
the QB-enhanced Nanado charges a tailed beast bomb of his own. And while it wasn't as powerful as Shukaku's due to the haste of which it was made and his dwindling chakra, he figured it would be enough to eliminate the serpent. As the shot fired, Orochimaru changes to a snake, escaping the scalpels Kabuto had thrown in hopes of pinning him down for the attack. In just a matter of seconds, Orochimaru evaded Kurama's attack and then outstretched his neck to bite Naruto on the hand. Kurama was infuriated to not only have missed the shot, but to have been attacked as well. Kurama immediately grabbed Orochimaru's snake hand and pinned him to the ground. He then charged another tailed beast bomb, this time far denser than the first. Before Orochimaru was disintegrated by the tailed beast bomb, he smiled and told both Kurama and Kabuto that he would see the both of them very soon. Orochimaru was physically gone, but unfortunately, this was not a win for the two. Kabuto had understood what he meant by that last remark, the curse mark. As the seconds passed and the smoke cleared, his suspicion was confirmed when he saw that one of Orochimaru's curse seals had indeed been placed on the young Jinchuriki when he was bitten by him. As Naruto's consciousness returned, he noticed that Kurama's chakra wasn't something that he could be relied upon any longer in this battle. He wasn't sure what all happened while he was out, but it had depleted his chakra reserves immensely. As he got up, he looked towards Kin once more, then towards Kabuto. He picked her up, carried her to him, and asked if he could do something to heal her. While it wouldn't be quite so simple as that, Kabuto thought it was an achievable task especially compared to the procedures he had been doing on Kibimaru. Better yet, he'd no longer owe Naruto anything for helping him slay Orochimaru. While Naruto did have the curse mark now, that was a problem for later. He looked Naruto in the eye, took Ken, and said that he'd returned her to him as she was before. Naruto, getting teary-eyed because of this, gave Kabuto a hug and thanked him before running in the direction he'd heard the Chidori earlier. Naruto was able to find Sasuke relatively easily. Once Sasuke spotted Naruto, he immediately charged towards him, trying to hit him across the face. While Naruto did see the attack coming, he wasn't quite aware of his surroundings and ended up tripping over a tree trunk. This then caused Sasuke to trip over Naruto's body and force their lips to touch. The both of them quickly scrambled away from each other in an attempt to make the situation a little less awkward. However, the damage was already done, and even an onlooker had witnessed it. The root agent sent by Danzo to capture Sasuke. Not entirely sure what he had just seen, but that didn't matter as in just a few seconds, he was seeing nothing at all as Obito had appeared behind him, knocking him through a nearby tree. Naruto knew then and there that he was in trouble, although not sure to what degree. As Naruto began apologizing for failing to capture the One-Tails, Obito drew nearer and nearer to him. Before he was standing right in front of the kid, Obito stated that this would be Naruto's last apology. Naruto interpreted this as he would be taken away for remedial training as Obito had in the past when his performance was below that of his expectations. On the other hand, Sasuke interpreted to mean that Naruto would be killed. As Obito gave Naruto his hand, Sasuke charged up another Chidori and rushed towards Obito. Obito didn't even flinch as Sasuke phased right through him, hitting the tree behind him. After seeing this, Naruto argued with Sasuke about the situation at hand. Obito looked at the pair and was reminded of him and the man holding his other eye while they spent their youth together. Bittersweet memories, he thought to himself. As a tree Sasuke had slashed through hit the forest floor, birds in the tree, as well as in others surrounding it, were sent in all directions. As Obito had finished reminiscing, he decided it was time to take care of business. 
Seeing as he needed Naruto alive, he'd simply have him stay in the Kamui dimension until it was time to extract the Ninetales. The same would go for the One-Tails after he was finished here. He intercepted Naruto and Sasuke's argument, telling Naruto it was time to go. And as Naruto went on to take Obito's hand, one of the flocks of birds that had been sent flying overhead flew down towards them. Although at the time it seemed like nothing suspicious, not escaping them would be a mistake Obito would learn to never forget. Because from them out came Itachi looking Obito directly in the eye. And while he tried to close them quickly, he was suddenly somewhere else entirely. Itachi was able to use his Tsukuyomi just in time. He then quickly plucked at Obito's Mangekyo and then attempted to eliminate him. However, to his surprise, Obito began screaming and was able to escape the 72 hours of torture through sheer willpower. While completely mentally and physically drained, Obito had enough energy to back away from Itachi, allowing for Zetsu to take him away. Itachi knew Zetsu was lurking nearby, but he was frustrated that his plan to eliminate Obito had failed. He was at least glad he was able to isolate Obito's Mangekyo. He knew he would not surely be betrayed as a traitor to the Akatsuki, but now he had other things to worry about. He needed to relocate the boys somewhere to keep them safe, not to the Leaf, not any other village, not even with the Akatsuki now. As he explained the situation to both Naruto and Sasuke, Sasuke was left in a petrified state. From pure animalistic instincts, he attempted to attack Atachi. This attempt went about as well as it did in canon. However, what follows is different. Itachi once again used the Tsukiyomi on Sasuke, but what was shown was not the massacre itself, but the truth surrounding it. Danzo's treachery, the ultimatum placed onto the hands of a young teen, the path he took, and the things it led to. All of it was revealed to Sasuke, and while he wanted so desperately to believe he was lying, he just couldn't. Everything shown is in line with his own memories, though he only knew of fragments and the events all lined up perfectly with reality. The two of them cried, Itachi saying that the circumstances didn't justify his actions and sometimes he even wished to desperately go back to change what he'd done, but it wasn't without reason. While Sasuke cried because he felt so lost, not entirely sure of where to go from here, he felt like he had found just as much. Naruto gave the two a few moments to sort things out, and while Itachi only came to find him, he knew that what just happened would be the best for those two in the long run. Itachi had asked if he would be coming along with him and Sasuke, and although Naruto stated he didn't really have much of a choice, he added that it would be his pleasure. A week had passed since the events of that day. Naruto, Sasuke, and Itachi had been on the run. Itachi's crow currently possesses Obito's eye as well as Sushui's until they decide what to do with it. Itachi calling his former partner to meet with him. However, Kisame declared what the trio had suspected. Obito had twisted the situation to seem as though Itachi and Naruto had betrayed the Akatsuki, while Kisame said that he would let the three of them pass this time as a thank you of sorts to a former partnership, they would be enemies the next time they met. Itachi thanked him as well, and Kisame went his own way as the three walked off. Back in the Leaf Village, it was declared that due to neither Jiraiya nor Tsunade answering their summons, Danzo would become the fifth Hokage. On top of that, deep in his lab lies Kinimaru, found by the root agent on his way back to the village. 
Though not the target he truly wanted, Dunzo was still pleased to have found an asset from a failed plan. This would be far more beneficial in the long run. All the Geni who were on the retrieval mission survived without major injury. The same, however, could not be said for the Sound 4. All of them were either killed in combat or by Kabuto, who went by to collect their bodies for his own use. The same going for Orochimaru. Furthermore, while insanely late, Jiraiya had put all the pieces together, finally realizing that he was Naruto's godfather. He had missed the leaf summon due to hearing the news late outside the village as he was wandering the earth in search of Naruto. And that's where we're leaving the story for now. If you enjoyed what you watched and want to see more Naruto What Ifri, make sure to check out the movies I have on the screen as you will not be disappointed. But I will be continuing this story, so make sure to stay tuned. Now, until the next time, my peeps, much love, Neon out.